You are about to opt in to Monerotopia, a show for the Monero community where all are welcome to join. From noob to maxi, no matter what bags you hold. Just sit back and relax to the sweet sounds of Monero's latest progress. Or if you're feeling inspired, join us on stage. Remember, the only thing that can stop Monero is a false belief that it can be stopped. And if you want to win the revolution faster, we recommend you remove your XMR from all custodial exchanges immediately. Warning, boating accidents are common around here. Don't forget to properly secure your private keys. Monerotopia starts now. Alright. Oh, your camera's off. All right. Oh, there you go. It's on. <laughs> What's up? What's up, my friends? We are. This this might be this our is, greatest feat yet, right? This is We've hilarious. Dividing and conquering here. We got Sunita down in Mexico City by herself. Yes. Yep. On our anniversary. Yep. She's chilling. She's holding it down. And I'm just like, I'm lost over here. I'm a lost soul without her. Don't even know how to turn Oh, isn't that sweet? I'm in front of the venue right now, guys. Oh, you weren't able to get in? Okay. Not yet. No, I'm waiting for someone to get me in. So I'm patiently waiting outside because there's a big event going on today. Okay. So, um, yeah, you have like all these vendors and stuff like that. This yeah, it's going to be area, guys. amazing. Sunita was down there all day yesterday with the venue, working with them. They're, they're, real, they're being helpful at this point, right? Yes, very helpful. Very awesome staff. And now I'm going to see them in action here today. So it should be pretty cool. I don't think they realized how like big our comp, like what we were trying to do. I think they just thought we were doing a little meetup at first, right? Yeah, I think so too. So it was critical that we went back down there to be like, guys, uh, you know, we have people flying in from all over, all over the world. We have at least, you know, well over a hundred people already that are going to be down here. We need to make sure things are on track. Right. <laughs> yep. And it's a good thing we did. Good responses. Yeah. So far, so good. Not jinx it, but you know, so far, so good. How was how was it with, well, the, with the AV guy? That's the most pretty great. Yeah, yeah, pretty great. Spoke with him. Um, he's aware of everything we're going to be doing all the three days. We're the venue for three days, and we're he's going to get us all the equipment. So everything should be good. Crossing my should be good. Okay. Okay. Yeah. They're, they're it very will be chill. great. It will be great. We're dealing with the, the locals, they're, they're just very chill, right? We have kind of like the New York vibe, like let's yeah, come on, like even the meetup last night, right? <laughs> yeah. Sunita, Sunita hosted the meetup <laughs> by herself last night. It kicked ass. I was here <laughs> remotely. That actually but turned. We, out. we pulled it up. Yeah. yeah. We, we ended up, uh, I went there a little early with the big coffee bar here in Mexico City. Uh, went there a little earlier, set up my computer and uh, projector, and we got Doug there remotely, which is awesome. And uh, Doug was having a little panic attack because it was 7 o'clock and no one was really there. But turns out Mexicans just take their time. Coming they showed to, up uh, an, over an hour late. An so hour early, showed up yeah. at 10 o'clock asking, 10 o'clock. Oh, when are really the talks going to start? <laughs> so <laughs> it was like... We just finished. Everybody's like hanging out at that point. Um, so a little bit of a different culture, culture there than the New York. Yeah, but like, yeah, have, very relaxed, but it's great. It's very yeah. relaxing, so but they get stuff done. So it's, you know, yeah. again, yeah, it was very successful yesterday. We were really excited. We had a nice, we had a nice turnout and yeah, um, people didn't leave till like 11 o'clock, really. So. It was awesome that I got to, I got to like watch, watch in from, from where I was. I got to see it. It was cool. Yeah. It was really cool. Yeah. Everyone was super nice. 
asked, they, everyone asked a lot of really interesting questions. We had someone do a Monero presentation in Spanish. He's really awesome too. Jasper was his name. Awesome presentation. Everyone really enjoyed it. It was very informative. Yeah, Jasper did a great job, and he did it in yeah. he did it in Spanish. Spanish, Spanish is in, yeah. I don't know where is he from. He's not. He's from like Europe. No, he's not. Yeah, he's from Europe. Um, and he knows he Spanish a, very well. Yeah, and he has a very good understanding of Monero. He he did it so well that I don't speak Spanish, but the little I speak, I was actually able to understand. I was like, wow, this guy knows his stuff. I feel like I was learning Spanish by hearing him talk about Monero. Then the <laughs> concepts he was talking about. Yeah. It was it was really good, and then some really engaging Q and A. People were asking good questions about like how private Monero is, uh, coin supply, all all that jazz. It was really good, and th- I think everybody gave you their email or an an email at the end to, yep. to help out with the conference. So we gave everybody that attended the conference a free ticket to the event, um, in hopes that they will then help us get the word out to people. So that's been the plan all along, guys. So it's not just, a, it's about obviously getting all the moneristas there from all over the world. We have the speakers coming in. Um, we have all the hardcore Monerotopia followers that are coming in. We have all those people. But now we want to spread it out to the noobs in Mexico City. Mexico City, tremendous city. It's one of the nexuses, right? It's it's crossroads. Um Major city, you know, we got to get Monero popping over there. So we want to create an event that's accessible. So that that's what's really nice about this venue, too. It's like even when we do the event, it's going to essentially be open to the public on the day of. There's going to be a live marketplace that's taking place there, just like the one that's taking place there now today. I don't know if Sydney will be able to show us at some point. Yeah, it's I think gonna, I will. That marketplace is going to be all, uh, they're all going to be vendors accepting Monero that day. We're going to onboard them. Obviously, we're, we're working on that. It's you know another communication issue, but we're going to be meeting with the, the woman that runs the whole marketplace, explaining everything, onboarding all the vendors to Monero. Probably giving them, you know, whatever, five, ten dollars just for fun right now, just to like get them onboarded. And then on Saturday and Sunday during the event, the marketplace will be live. So we'll have people that are coming in just because they're aware of this marketplace and then they'll slowly integrate into the conference. Um, we'll have screens outside of the domes and the other areas that people are paying tickets for. So like people will still be able to like watch the, you know, watch and learn. And obviously they'll just kind of. My hope is naturally integrate into the conference and we'll have an area where we'll have people helping us hand out, you know, get people uploaded, uh, to whatever to Monero Uju, Cake, um, you know, good, good Monero wallets and sending them, you know, whatever, five, ten dollars. We'll try to get some people to help sponsor that to give the giveaway and we'll try to onboard a bunch of people to Monero, a bunch of noobs. So it should be very cool. All right, let's let's get the let's get the show started. Yeah, let's do this. All right. So if you want to go to uh, brand we'll again, yeah, yeah, go to brand. And Obviously, click on the huge, price report segment. Huge week in, in price drama. Uh, a lot of strange crypto stuff going on. It's one of those weeks where people are like, oh my god, I never thought this would happen. We saw USDC getting depegged. Body is going to give us the lowdown. So I'm going to go ahead and do the price segment intro. Yeah, and then make sure to add him to the stream. What's up? (laughs) I said make sure to add him to the stream. And I will add him to the stream. All right, everybody, (laughs) hold on. Here we go. Here we go. The Monerotopia Price Report segment is sponsored by Local Monero. 
Avoid using KYC exchanges. Buy and sell Monero directly for fiat, peer-to-peer. All right. Good job. You have to add his charts. Look at that. Charts. Why is this charts say... Not connect. Yeah. Oh, here we go. Oh, there you go. All right, Body, can you hear us? I can. I wasn't able to hear the intro to the price report. I don't know if that's just me. Oh. Oh. Huh. It's possible it's just me. I don't know. Everyone in that's listening. Sunita, were you able? Were you able to hear it? Yeah, I was able to hear. Okay. Well, no big deal. You know, we can we can move on. We've got a lot to talk about today. There's um, we have a lot of uh, technical info and stuff like bonds and yields to slog our way through to understand what's happening with uh, with the collapse of the Silicon Valley Bank. So uh, I have I have not paid attention to this at all because Sunita and I have had our heads down this week trying to do Monerotopia stuff. What the hell happened? Well, I was pretty busy myself this week, but um, if you remember last week, I was saying that uh, I was slightly concerned and to keep your eye on price because if it starts dipping down below key levels, it'll be time to dip out of the market. Uh, and that's basically exactly what happened. Uh, we kind of rode this line down here, but as soon as we started to break down, uh, I just dumped pretty much all of my positions except for some of my um, outlandish YOLO plays on uh, on small coins that might, you know, really small cap coins. So those are still in play, but I pretty much dumped everything else. Um, so obviously, uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, obviously it would have been better to get out up here at the top than, uh, than to get down here. But hey, I mean, you save yourself 10%, you save yourself. In other cases, we're talking like 20, 30, 40% drops on um, some of them. Don't, don't, remind, don't remind me, body. Don't remind <laughs> me. I just well, hold and r- r- go along. I, oh, Jesus. Uh, I've got uh, I've got good news for Monero though. Like I mean, our chart structure is still holding. Um, we didn't break down through even the short-term interim uh, support line. We basically bounced right off of that, and then the longer-term support line uh, is still well intact. So Monero is looking good. Um, we tend to survive these crashes significantly better. Um, we even saw some positive price divergences happen. Um, in fact, it looks like Binance is. <laughs> presently accumulating a lot of Monero, which is like we've talked about. That's what they do. When price is going down and things are in slow times, they start accumulating so that they can give themselves some headroom later on during pump times and they can kind of manage the price from getting a lot of visibility. Um, but, you know, really the interesting story here today isn't Monero. It's uh, it's all SVB. Um, so today I'd kind of like to do this more interactively because um, this SVB stuff can get kind of technical. Like I said, we're going to have to slog our way through what are bonds, what are, what's fixed income, what's um, available for sale, how do these bank balance sheets work? Because USDC was exposed here um, in some part to SVB. They have their funds sort of trapped in there right now. And people are panicking. And so people are basically panic selling USDC for anything else at the moment. So Tether is doing really well. But um, I, I'd love for you to jump in there. And whenever something isn't making sense, you know, just stop me, ask some questions, because I want to make sure that the audience really understands um, what happened here. Okay. So um, I actually, I was really busy yesterday. And when I got home and I saw what was happening, I was, I was behind the curve. So I basically spent the rest of the night trying to catch up and and uh, understand what was going on. So let's start from the basics. Um, <clears throat> SVB is Silicon Valley Bank, and they're basically the premier bank that Silicon Valley startups use for liquidity. Um, apparently it was formed at a poker game in the 1980s, um, and it was supposed to be a place where startups could get better access to capital that traditional banks were not willing to lend. It was too much risk. So um, a name like Roku is one of the bigger names that I saw that was exposed to SVB. Uh, and then USDC had $3.3 billion worth of funds of their uh, liquid cash uh, funds with SVB. 
Um, they have a total of, uh, I believe it was 8.7 billion uh, outstanding cash with various banks, SVB being one of them. Interesting, um, Silvergate was also one of them, but I believe they got out of that. Um, this was their, la- their latest report as of like January 31st. So um, basically 3.3 billion would amount to uh, just under 10%, like 7.5% of their total balance sheet was exposed to SVB. So the question is now, are they going to get anything back? And I know that when people hear banking collapse, they just they envision FTX, everything's gone, it's just totally finished. But that's really not the case. Um, most of the money does appear to be there. It looks like most people, most depositors are going to be made whole. So um, essentially, the way that banks work is they, they have these sort of different types of investment. And um, there's all these like acronyms, of course, as you can imagine. So AFS, for example, is available for sale. This this is basically assets that are backing their balance sheet, that are backing their depositors, and these can be sold. Um, there's also sort of these fixed rate uh, U.S. treasuries that they have, and that's an important piece that we'll get to later. But they had a whole lot of fixed rate treasuries yielding low rates that they that uh, is ultimately going to have to be sold here probably. Um, the other thing is that they've got just like liquid cash on hand, right? So banks are by law required to have certain amounts of capital um, to meet depositor demand withdrawals. Now, what happened was SVB had to sell off part of its available for sale, their AFS securities. They had to sell some of that off, which was surprising to some of the Silicon Valley executives because they thought that they were more highly capitalized um, in their liquid investments than that. So eventually what happened was uh, a run on the bank. There was $42 billion withdrawn from uh, from SVB on Friday. So, uh, or sorry, maybe on Thursday. Um, so essentially what happened was they didn't have any more liquid investments that they could just keep meeting these withdrawals. And apparently what I read was that the Federal Reserve asked them to process something like $800 million worth of transactions, and they couldn't do it because they just didn't have the liquid capital on hand. Now, having a liquidity problem is not the same thing as having a solvency problem. Now, it might be that there's a little bit of a solvency problem here, but we're talking like 80%, 90% of the funds. And in worst case scenario, they still have them. So here's where we've got to start talking about bonds and yields. If you remember, we've uh, on the show, we've talked a number of times about interest rates, about bonds, and um, and how the Federal Reserve was raising rates and we're in a rising interest rate environment and how that can be dangerous. Because if you have an old bond, let's suppose you have a bond from 2019, 2020, that's yielding, say, one and a half percent, which is about what all the bonds that these guys were holding. They were long term bonds yielding about one and a half percent. If you have a bond that's worth one and a half percent per year, but then there's new bonds being issued at four and a half percent, which one do you want to hold? Obviously, that's going to be the one yielding at four and a half percent. You want the higher interest rate. Mm-hmm. So what happens is you could you can hypothetically sell that lower yielding bond at one and a half percent, but you're going to have to take a hit on that because no one wants to buy it. So you have to offer them a discount. Um, I believe right now it's like 85 cents on the dollar. So what most banks tend to do in this situation is they say, listen, we're just going to hold this bond till maturity. Um, and there's a term for that. I can't remember exactly what that term is at the moment. Um, but they they, decide, they say, hey, we're going to hold this bond until it is completely mature. We're going to collect one and a half percent interest. Um, we're not going to sell it and take a loss right now. Well, what happened was so many people were withdrawing from SVB that they had to start selling some of their available for sale securities that was yielding at a lower percentage rate, which meant that they had to write down about $1.8 billion in terms of losses there. 
So that only spurred even more people to keep withdrawing. When things started getting hairy, the FDIC stepped in and basically took possession of the bank and all the assets. So there's a couple important things here for us to see. That and buddy, wait, just for because I kind of why did people start withdrawing initially? What cause? What was the initial cause of the bank, quote unquote, bank run? So. Um, you know, who knows? Uh, I'm sure there's a good answer to that. I'm sorry. I don't really have the, the greatest answer for it, but people were withdrawing. I think maybe just, um, skittishness. Uh, they had to meet a lot of liquidity, but then especially the, the problem was it's like they kind of hit this tipping point when they had to sell that, uh, that low yielding long-term fixed rate bond, uh, at a loss. Uh, and they had to take, and they had to write down a $1.8 billion loss. Um, and then they, what they were doing is trying to raise capital after that. Said, hey, we're going to offer some more of our stock uh, to try and generate some more capital for short-term liquidity. Happen, it does happen all the time. Like companies yeah. do this. Um, that was like the triggering moment that a lot of these Silicon Valley executives were like, oh my God, we thought their liquidity was better. We better get out now. The funny thing is that if they hadn't all stampeded for the exit, everything would be fine. We wouldn't be talking about this. There would, nothing would have happened. It's, I heard someone say it's like cutting off your nose to spite your face. Because all of these Silicon Valley executive startups depended on SVB for liquidity, for loans to get their startups going for payroll, et cetera. But because a huge portion of them just all withdrew their funds at once, now they have to actually sell these long-term fixed interest rates, uh, fixed interest rate bonds and take a loss on them. And now, um, yeah, maybe there's not quite enough money to make everyone whole. There's still almost enough money. We're talking like 80, 90 percent. Um, even if they have to sell all of these fixed rate bonds at a lower value instead of hold them to maturity. Um, but yeah, that was, it was that announcement they made that kind of like, that was the tipping point. So basically it looks to me, oh, so here, here we have the FD, uh, FDIC, the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation. So basically on Monday, all insured depositors are going to get their deposits back, um, come Monday. So that would be anyone with $250,000 or less is fully insured by FDIC and those guys are just going to get paid out. Um, they're going to be fine. So really the big question here is the uninsured depositors, any amount over $250,000. So we're talking, for example, USDC. Um, well, apparently it looks like they are going to get, so here we go. The FDIC will uh, give the uninsured depositors an advanced dividend. So a lot of these startup companies are probably going to be able to make payroll. They're, they're going to give them, I'm assuming, right, they're going to be responsible about this and give them enough money to continue operations, enough money to make their payroll. There are a lot of assets sitting on the balance sheet of um, of this bank. And then so after that, they're going to receive some kind of receivership certificate. You know, I mean, it's like it's like the TradFi way of, of when Bitfinex issued a token um, for their loss when they were hacked back in like 14 or 2016 or whatever it was. Um, so the, long, the, the short story here is that it looks to me like USDC is going to get back almost all of that $3.3 billion. Maybe they have to take a haircut of $300 million, you know, $600 million, but that's, that's really, that's nothing. Um, so right now they were sitting, they were, they were at $43 billion market capitalization. They've, they've dropped here. But here's kind of the clincher. There is more than $2 billion USDC locked, almost like permalocked in these, um, or like deep locked into these, these contracts like DAI. And a whole bunch of other DeFi stuff. That that USDC is not going to be redeemed for a long time. It's going to take a. It would be very difficult to get all, all of that unwound and actually to try and redeem that for dollars. So basically, almost all of the funds that they have locked up currently in um, in SVB, they're not even going to be able to uh, like they they would be able to meet all of their deposits or all of their redemption requests without even accessing any of that cash. <clears throat> so USDC holds. Pretty much, um, so let me see, they hold $33 billion worth of USDC 
in the form of short-term treasuries, all yielding at 4.5%. So that basically means that when six to nine months, they're going to be able to make up any shortfall um, for whatever they're not paid back, whatever losses they might incur on the SVP fiasco. They should be able to make that up within six to nine months on just the interest payments on their short-term debt that they're holding, U.S. Treasuries, basically. So um, overall, I just this just seems like the market panicking. People hear something. They read a news story. Um, for a while, there was a news story written that, that made it seem like 25% of USDC was going to be lost um, in SVB because, you know, everyone's got the FTX fiasco fresh in their mind. So they think, well, OK, uh, we're going to lose everything. And so they just they just bounce for anything. So everything pumped last night um, pretty, pretty hard. Like, I mean, from shitcoin to PAX Gold uh, to Tether. Uh, so, for example, right here, we've got uh, uh, we've got the market cap of USDC. This is on Kraken right here. Um, so this is the value of USD coin relative to dollars. You'll notice that it's sitting at um, 0.925 roundabout. And if you remember, we said 7.5%, 3.3 billion is about 7.5% of their market cap. So right now it looks like the market is pricing as if $3.3 billion is going to be lost totally off, um, off USDC. But that's, again, that's very unlikely. They're going to get probably almost all of that back in the coming weeks. Um, Jim and I, for whatever reason, had like really big divergences here. They went down to as low as uh, 80 cents on the dollar for USDC. So the other thing that happened is that Tether took a big, big jump. So you've got US, uh, USDC versus Tether um, currently sitting about, yeah, 91, 91 cents on the dollar. Or hypothetically, we could look at this Tether versus uh, USDC. And you could see that, um, wow, God. Oh, that's crypto capping. Let's find a better source. Let's find a, a DeFi source for this if we can. Hmm. Uh, maybe let's just check Gemini or not. I don't know why, but sometimes my, uh, ah, all right, we'll forget it for whatever reason. Trading view is not wanting to be cooperative, but at any rate, Tether, Tether pumps like 5%, 10%, um, in some cases, 15% above USDC. The irony to me of this is that it was shown that Tether does not like for months at a time did not have the backing for their tether coins at all. And this was this came out from the from the New York Attorney General assessment when Tether had to turn over millions of documents. And then the CFTC basically corroborated everything that the New York Attorney General said. So it's crazy to me that nobody cared that Tether basically was unbacked or almost entirely unbacked for large periods of time. And that everyone's just fleeing into Tether um, without really like assessing the situation. Now um if I had been on, on the ball and, and not so busy yesterday and I had seen this happening in real time, there's a good chance that I probably would have tried to take advantage of some of these big moves. Um, but when I sat down and I saw everyone was panicking and all this stuff was happening, I said, OK, I'm not making any moves. I'm not going to make any DJ plays here until I really understand what's going on. And um, by the time that I was comfortable with understanding what had happened, it was kind of too late to really make big plays. Um, but if you're a gambler and if you have Tether or you have something else, buying USDC down here probably would end up being um, a solid you know, like 8% that you could make when this thing comes back to parity. Um, so this is going to tie into a lot of stuff that's happening next week. It's going to be a big week next week. Um, but let me let me pause right here and just to see if you have any questions, if all that uh, registers with you. No, 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 no. Keep, keep going. Um, it looks like there's, a, like, I, you know, with my original question, what caused the initial bank run? People are trying to figure that out. Some people are kind of blaming Elizabeth Warren on that. Um so it's it's just interesting, but yeah, uh, no, I want to hear I want to hear what happens next. What, what are the <laughs> okay. implications for the broader crypto market, or has well, it know, already has it already kind of been priced in? I'm I'm curious where it heads next. Um. So uh, yeah, that's uh, I 
That's a good question about um, what caused this from the beginning. And, and I think uh, I kind of skipped over that a bit, but we do need to understand that to understand what's going to happen in the future. We have to understand um, the kind of risks facing the system, because the question is right now, well, this Silicon Valley bank just failed. Mm-hmm. Um, are any other banks going to fail? What caused the original problem with SVB? Um, in my mind, it's a combination of kind of two things. So, Remember, we talked about bond yields. Um, as yields go up, the value of the older bonds goes down. And banks are forced by law to hold very high, uh, they call it, I mean, low risk, um, low risk uh, securities on their balance sheet. So the problem was that uh, when they printed all that money back in 2020, a lot of these Silicon Valley executives were taking loans, they were printing money, they were depositing all this cash with SVB. And so SVB had like, they were just flush with cash. And in fact, um, that's pretty much was the situation with all banks. They just um, they had more cash than they knew what to do with. So what they did is they bought long-term fixed interest rate, and that was all uh, very low yielding. This was before the Fed started raising rates. So the question is, how many other banks have a whole bunch of long-term uh, fixed income or fixed yield instruments that are at like one and a half, one, one and a half, two percent? Um, because <clears throat> they could also have like a very similar problem on their hands. Um, there are other banks that right now are in question of whether or not they might also uh, have exactly the same problem. So um, essentially what we're what we're looking at here is some slight potential for the rest of the market, for like the broader economy to start asking questions about other banks and perhaps withdrawing their funds. So interestingly, I don't see USDC as having a solvency problem. I think that this de-pegging is going to correct itself um, probably next week. But if not, then um, maybe into the future. But the real, the bigger problem here, the bigger question is, is this contagion? Are dominoes going to start falling in the rest of the economy? Is this a Lehman moment? Mm-hmm. Now, I think the answer to that is basically no, but there is still a risk. Uh, there, there's definitely a risk that that people just stampede for the exits, kind of like they did in, in 2008, um, which could challenge the liquidity of these banks that would prefer to just hold these bonds to maturity and if people don't rush for the exits, everything will be fine because they'll just hold these low yielding bonds till maturity. They won't have to write down a loss by law. Actually, they don't even have to write that loss into their um, into their balance sheet or into their financial reports um, because they intend to hold it until maturity. But hypothetically, those still could be forced to say, uh, to be sold if just all of the big institutions decide to just start withdrawing their money and, and family offices in America. And if everyone just like immediately loses confidence, like the, the system will collapse or it'll get close to a collapse. It could get close to a collapse, kind of like 2008. The difference is, of course, that the the bonds backing 2008 were all of these like toxic mortgage debt. And there was no official system like um, like the Fed uh, buying up the mortgage backed securities as reserve assets. That kind of system didn't exist. So all that toxic debt was on their balance sheets. Right now, they have very high quality debt. I mean, obviously, please, please don't stone me, you know, the audience out there for, for calling U.S. Treasuries high quality debt. You know, I'm just speaking in the lingo uh, of traditional finance. So, you know, make that distinction in your mind and, uh, you know, don't, don't hate me too badly for saying it like that. Okay. So there's a lot of high quality debt. It's not all this toxic mortgage debt on their balance sheet. Now, don't get me wrong. They still have MBSs on their balance sheet. But MBSs today are basically backstopped by the Federal Reserve, where in 2008 they weren't. So I think the risk is very low for the economy. I think it's very likely that this should be isolated to a couple banks. Um, so next week is a big week because we have inflation numbers and we have the Federal Reserve meeting. Um, we have uh, we have the Fed. They they gave testimony to Congress this week, and this was kind of like this is basically what spurred the um, sort of the beginning of the downfall uh, in crypto. So, for example, here's total. Um, and then right around here, 
that was just like when I was looking at that this week, and that was exactly what I was talking about on the show last week, that as soon as we start breaking down from there, that's really a bad sign because it's very reminiscent of what happened over here back in um, really the same time, almost the same timeline last year, where we sort of had these kind of two um, support lines. And once you start breaking down that first one, that's usually a bad sign, and you're not going to hold that second one. It's just not how things work. Um, the other thing, of course, being that um, let's go to Bitcoin because it's more clear. So here's our FTX Doom level. And we bounced off of that. This was great. You know, you see this, you bounce, bounce, and you're like, all right, game on. Time to go to, to, to the top side of the trend. But when you come back and visit that again, that's a really bad sign. So even just breaking down from this meant that you were going to go back down to that level. And going down to this level almost certainly means you're going to go down further. So um, I hope that people were, you know, on the ball this week. And uh, when they saw that breakdown, I hope that the traders out there were able to get out of their positions and, and save some cash. Um, I'm not convinced that we've seen the end of this, but I personally want to see more clarity. I want to see. Um, so right now, the Federal Reserve had their their I think it's a biannual meeting where they talk to Congress. Uh, Jay Powell talks to Congress and essentially they said, hey, we might have to raise longer. We're going to have to raise for higher, which they kind of been saying all along. But I think maybe they were taken more seriously this time. Um, so the market priced in a 25 basis point rate hike uh, for Wednesday next week. Um, but. Uh, or that that's what was priced in. But then um, after the testimony to Congress, the market priced in a 50 basis, 50 basis point uh, rate hike. So essentially the market was readjusting to expecting to having higher rates. And again, this also weighs on that whole problem with the yields that we talked about where these banks and these institutions are holding lower yielding debt as part of their balance sheet that is now becoming less valuable as rates go up. Um, so maybe we should take a look here at the, uh, at the 10 year yield is a good example. Now what's crazy about all this is that, um, you know, we were kind of holding steady here. The 10-year yield was basically trending sideways. And then with the whole, with everything that happened on uh, on Friday, people start panicking and they worry about how this is going to affect the markets. So what they do is they start selling stocks and they start buying bonds, which causes this massive drop. Um, because again, if you're the person, if you're the United States government and you're selling bonds at say 4%, uh, this area right here, and suddenly everyone wants to buy your bonds, there's a huge amount of demand. You're like, well, wait a second. I don't have to, I don't have to pay you a high interest rate. Everyone else wants a bond as well. I'm going to lower my interest rate so I don't have to pay you as much money at the end of the day. So <clears throat> when people start buying bonds, the interest rates go down. And that's basically what happened. Um, people were scared. People were stampeding for the exits. Uh, if we go over here to the S&P 500, you can see that we basically broke down um, the bear market resistance line, which had turned into to support for a moment. And uh, now we broke that down as well. Um, so overall, what we're looking for next week, the ideal, so there's kind of like two situations, two extremes and everything in between that could happen. Um, on the, the ideal case would be that, uh, on Monday, FDIC reassures everyone and they start giving money back to, um, to USDC and to all of these uh, Silicon Valley startups and they can make payrolls and everyone breathes a sigh of relief and say, okay, everything's contained. And then the inflation, the inflation numbers on Tuesday are, they come down significantly. And, uh, and then the Federal Reserve says, no, we're not going to raise 50 basis points. We're just going to do 25. That would be like sell everything and get into the market. Maybe even the, the Federal Reserve reassures the market, hey, we're not going to let anything terrible happen. We're going to make sure and backstop no matter what happens. The economy's going to be fine, guys. We've got you. If that kind of thing happens, then the markets are going to go off to the races. It doesn't matter that we just broke down these key support lines uh, or anything like that. Like you, you'll, you'll see the S&P just take off. You'll see crypto take off. That would be like our perfect ideal situation. That would be like, you'll see it coming. It'll happen. You probably won't catch the perfect bottom, but you can, you know, you'll be able to get in within 24 hours and, 
and we should all have nice games and celebrate with champagne and, and, and dark net drugs or whatever, you know, whatever is brought to the Monerotopia. Just kidding. Nobody don't bring any drugs <laughs> unless you share. Just buy them then. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So the other side of this, the other like end of this spectrum is if Jay Powell comes out and he's like, yeah, well, you know, we've still got inflation. It's bad, right? Maybe the CPI numbers come out higher than expected. And then Jay Powell's like, we got to raise 50 basis points. And hey, you know, SVB, you guys are on your own. Um, and then we start finding out that other banks have a similar balance sheet and then people are getting scared. Like <clears throat> that would be like a, a doom kind of scenario. Everyone would, would uh, start panicking and we'd see just crazy crashes of, of the stock market. You know, probably we'd finally maybe we'd actually finally make this uh, my old target of the pre-COVID highs. Right. Maybe we could just like spike all the way down there uh, and then we'll have like some threat of a systemic event. And then the Federal Reserve will have to come out and they'll have to act eventually. They'll probably do it, you know, at some point later and then. And then that would actually be the start of a new bull market, to be honest. If they have to pivot, if they're forced to intervene to save the markets, um, that probably is the start of a new bull market. So it's almost like it's almost like things this SVB event could be sort of forcing things to come to a bit of a head here. But if we don't get either extreme, right, if neither of those extremes plays out and we get something in the middle, we could just kind of trend sideways and just sort of, uh, you know, be a little bit boring. Maybe they maybe things trend down for a while. I personally, I'm, I'm not a buyer down here. Uh, I, I look at this and I think to myself, there's too much uncertainty. Um, I have some, I have some nice gains from, uh, you know, from back down here. Uh, I managed to get out and keep a, a decent portion of those gains. So I'm just going to wait. I just want to see clarity on what's going to happen. Um, there's going to be plenty of time to get into the market. There's, there's probably going to be a lot of volatility associated with these events. Um, as we've seen, people tend to be very reactive. Um, so that's, um, to me, that's the way to play this thing. You just want to keep your head screwed on tight. You don't want to be making rash decisions in the moment when you're not quite sure what's going on. Um, usually that's how you can end up losing money every now and then. You know, I have some friends last night that they were all about it. Like they were like, nope, I'm dumping USDC. I'm jumping into the shit coins. You know, everything's going to go up. And, uh, and they made a pretty penny last night. So uh, good on them. Good on anyone that took advantage of that. But, um, you know, I think next week we should get some clarity and, and hopefully uh, we can go from there. All right, man. Nonstop action. This is a uh, fun times for you, buddy, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm trying to like do other things and live life and not just like be stuck to a chart, but uh, this wasn't the right week for, for trying to do that. Yeah. Uh, shit, man. So not to, not to, you know, simplify this too much, but, uh, by all means, please. How far down do you think we could potentially go in terms of the entire market? Like, can we get back down to what we thought was the bottom, uh, whatever, a couple of months ago? Yeah, that's that's entirely a possibility here. If, uh, if fear takes hold, um, then it's it's totally possible that we could go back to uh, to these lows down here. Um, like if we if people are, are withdrawing from banks and we see this as maybe being a systemic event, and and the Fed doesn't tell us the things that we want, like they're like, well, we can't we can't stop raising rates or we can't lower rates because the inflation is too high and it'll just be worse. And sorry, markets, but y'all are just going to have to deal with it. You know, yeah. uh, perhaps we, we could go down, um, to, uh, to some pretty low lows. You know, go I, go I was going to say, then you think it'd be, be a, be a very long haul back up or it would be kind of like a whiplash moment where it's, we go down. I think it would be, I think it would be kind of whiplash. It, it might be, we might go down and then wait and wait. And then eventually some kind of, um, some kind of intervention has to be done because the markets are looking too bad. Um, cause I mean, that's the thing. We can't, like, the system cannot go into a deflationary spiral. That's like the worst of all outcomes. It would be better for us to have to deal with 10% inflation for the next decade than, than for the system to go into a deflationary spiral. 
And the people that run the system know that. So they, they really, um, they'll choose inflation over a deflationary spiral any day and they always have and they always will. So here's, um, here's a quick look, uh, at the regression analysis. So, um, obviously, uh, you know, we've talked about this many times before. The red line is sort of the uh, absolute, you know, lowest possible low. Um, BLX is always kind of a day behind, if you will. They're, they're slightly behind because uh, we won't get the price action that's happening right now until the close of business today. But um, right now, that regression would sit at 15800 So uh, it would be hell, a hell of a thing to hit that regression uh, right now during, you know, amidst all this turmoil. Uh, that's probably a pretty good buy point. It's statistically a good buy point. So mm. if you if you miss this pump, um, you probably have an opportunity to get in here. The other thing to think about now, I mean, let's let's get back to principles. Right? Let, let's talk about what's really important. If we've got this whole banking system that's failing right. um, and there's all this like crap going on uh, and you're holding a sovereign asset like Monero that no one can take away from you. And as long as people are running the network, right, as long as there's a few guys with a CPU out there and an internet connection, like this thing will keep on going. So, and it'll come back. Like if the markets come back, Monero comes back with it. And if, if the markets don't come back and we, but we still have a network, like that's, that's useful. So, um, yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty ironic that, you know, crypto is crashing as we're learning how broken the traditional uh, money system is, right? <laughs> yeah, it's like this, it's like this, uh, I don't know, this push pull from like both sides. It's like, well, we're kind of dependent on, we, but, you know, crypto is kind of dependent for price on the system, but then at the same time, uh, you know, it's a sovereign asset. So, you know, maybe it's better just to hold crypto. And so that's kind of why you saw this big crash. And then people were like, well, no, wait, the, the money could be failing. So let's get back into Bitcoin. Let's get back into crypto. Mm-hmm. The same thing happened with gold, actually. Um, so, I mean, obviously during tough times and times of uncertainty in the banking system, people want to hold gold, right? You want physical gold because you know that thing is valuable no matter what. You know you're going to at least preserve your value, if not more. So gold took a big bounce. Uh, in fact, gold was probably one of the better performers overall as a sector in, in general. Yeah, I mean, I think if things really start to get crazy in the traditional fiat world, um, there will be a capitulation point. We'll say, all right, I'm going to crypto because everything's so screwed. Yeah. Uh, I, we, ha- we have yet to see that, right, really? Like you said, there, there's been moments, but for the most part, when the broader market goes down, crypto goes down with it. It hasn't really uh, untethered itself real way, I'd say. Yeah, and that, that makes sense. Um, so maybe we can take a little bit of history analysis on gold to understand um, how this dynamic works. So um, gold is also kind of correlated with the rest of the markets. Let's go back to 2008. So this is the weekly candles. And you can see that in 2008, gold basically took a quick dip, but that's because when people need liquidity, they smash the sell button. Like they might have to put up margin so they don't get liquidated on their, um, on their margin accounts. They'll smash the sell button on everything, including gold and crypto, um, to meet that margin requirement. So then you'll see a big crash with the rest of the market. But because gold and crypto have this kind of like underlying value, that floor happens a lot sooner than other markets. And then it typically rebounds pretty quickly. So that's the kind of action, like if we saw this turn into a broader systemic event, you could probably expect Bitcoin, crypto in general to crash um, and have some like crazy March 2020 spike down. But that is like that's a massive buying opportunity. If that happens, if we get some kind of fundamental systemic event, you need to be buying crypto and gold to an extent hand over fist because that's like that's your opportunity. Right. It's going to bounce back much harder than the broader market. Yep. All right, man. Exciting as always. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll leave it here. We got a lot, a lot more show today. If you could stick around, body, please do. Yeah. Yeah, I will. All right. Cool. Thank you so much, man. Thanks, Doug.
All right. Okay. We will move on to the dev report. Let me get that going. And now for the Monero development segment. Okay, okay, okay. Let me add Degoon here. People in the in the spaces, were you able to hear that our little cheesy intro? I'm just curious if it's working on our end. Just give a thumbs up in the spaces. I don't know. People are slow. And by the way, if you're in the spaces, all right, we got a thumbs up. Um, it's it's more fun to watch it on YouTube, but we like to broadcast it on spaces, and then we'll, we'll jump in the spaces at the end to talk with everybody. I see Mano Crypto is in there, so I'm very tempted to jump in the spaces. Always love talking to Mano. Um, Degan, what's going on, man? We I think we I don't know what you're I don't know what you're looking to cover today. Are you are you oh. covering the the Rucknium stuff? What, what's the uh... Uh, I was just gonna do just a quick overview of Seraphis and the address updates. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. I was looking for something to be as relevant, but um, unfortunately I can't be exciting as uh, a possible bank run. Uh-huh. And <laughs> well, no, there was there was some big uh dev news, right? Monero transaction confirmations are now sixty seconds fast. I don't know if you Oh did you see that one? Oh yeah, that's really cool. That that yeah. that actually transpired like um like basically I think like the fix went in like a month ago. I think that this yeah. is like the culmination of it. Yes, yes. It was really cool. Uh, it's kind of old news, I guess, but it's getting attention now. Um, but yeah, jump into uh, these broader topics. Oh yeah, I just want to give some good news. So I mean, I thought it on Thursday, so I wish I could. We could talk about that a little bit if you want to. I'm sorry, talk about what? The um, the the the, the confirmation time stuff. I saw that last night. Yeah, I, I saw that last night. We can no, talk no, about no, it no. After. Do, do your do your report, because then um, okay, <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll mention it in the news and whatnot. But yeah, if there's anything you have to say on it, by all means. But uh. Go ahead, do what oh, yeah, yeah. you prep for. Oh yeah, um, Sunita also said I want to check your phone also. And how do I have my slides here? How do I? Thank you. Oh, okay. Oh, your slide. Oh, Doug, you have up. to add it yep, on. There screen. you go. Yeah. You, no, you put body oh, up. Shit. Sorry about that. You gotta add his. Boom. Ah, there you go. This, this <laughs> is why we need Sunita. You know, I, I can't run the studio. Now you got this. You're figuring, <laughs> you're figuring it out. <laughs> Nita, how's it going over there? Are you in the venue now? Yeah, I'm in the venue now. Oh, okay. I'm like kind of walking around. They're setting up the marketplace. Yeah, they're setting up the marketplace. It's really cool. How do I'm I just waiting for the main? Street. I don't know how to make you large. Okay. Oh, it's like the layout. You can use the layout. Okay, use the layout. Well, we'll, we'll let we'll let uh, Degoon take it yeah, away, yeah, and, let, and we'll come back to you for yeah. the uh, the live report down at down at the venue. <laughs> All right, sounds good. <laughs> just chilling over there. Go ahead, yeah. man. Take it away. So um, I want to get some good news. So I want to talk about some of the Monero wallet like upgrades we've been experiencing or we will experience with the Seraphis updates. So I just want to get some good news given all the uh, markets being down so to show you that Monero is still working. If the markets are down, markets are up, so the work still continues. And pretty much um, everyone's heard of Seraphis. I hope you have, unless you've been living under a rock. It's a coming Monero update. It's um, planned to be integrated soon. I don't want to put a date on that. I think my, like, I've been hearing one to two years. It could be longer than that, so don't hold me to that. But basically, um, Seraphid's quick overview of what Seraphid is, is a complete restructuring of the way, um, we model Monero. So basically, it's, it's a, it's an innovative way of looking at privacy coins in general and defining the, the protocols around them. So with, um, Seraphid, we're gonna have, some of the same building blocks are just going to be structured in a way to make them more interchangeable. And hopefully this will set the way for us to adopt zero-knowledge proofs in the, in the future 
um, for hiding the sender information and things like that. So it's like a pretty much not a deep rewrite, but a I would say like a deep restructuring of how we model Monero. And there's a lot of stuff going on with it. So today I'm just going to focus in on Jamatis, which is basically um, going to have some really innovative things going on with view wallets update. So it's going to be really cool and pioneering way in that. And right now, if you use Monero, the you only really have one kind of view wallet. And if you use Monero with a hardware wallet, you might notice, but in order to actually view an accurate balance on your account, you have to plug your hardware wallet in and then upload some information to the wallet, which is not a big security risk, but it can lead to, it's very clunky and can lead to some security risk. Since in order to see your actual balance, you need to have your hardware wallet. Like if you have a Bitcoin view wallet, right? You don't need to have any of that. You don't need to plug your wallet in. You can just pull up your phone and check your view wallet. Let's say you were out and about and you wanted to check your cold wallet at home. You can't really do that. You actually have to have your hardware wallet with you to get an accurate balance, which is not ideal, right? A view wallet is supposed to be offline or view wallet is supposed to be a hot wallet that is super secure and the cold wallet is supposed to be separate. Mm -hmm. So the new update to Jamatis will, and this is a, a lot, is actually Monero is the only wallet to do something like this. Um, Jamatis introduces different tiers of view wallet. And once again, I want to iterate, this is, I've, I haven't seen it implemented on any other cryptocurrency. So it's actually, um, cutting edge, cutting edge way of looking at things. I just want so to say, we're going to have, we're going to have Co down at Monerotopia, obviously talking about oh, Surface. Yeah. And then we have, uh, Justin Berman, uh, will be talking about Jamatis, which is. Oh yeah, you. Yeah. So y'all should go to the show. Definitely go to the convention. The, those people are heavy hitters in this space. They're the ones that actually, I believe, writing the papers I'm speaking on. So yes, yes. Com complete experts, com awesome people. But yes. just to give you a quick overview, to sort of hopefully get you hyped for that. No, the this way this will, yeah, the way this will work is, is that you have different tiers of view wallet. You can imagine as we get closer to the bottom tier, you have a master wallet and that sort of works how you think of a wallet today. It can spin, it can view all transactions, et cetera, et cetera. But then at the very top tier here, you have, you have, you have a wallet that can generate public addresses for you, but can't actually see any outputs or any information about that address, which is really cool. That's not, I believe that's currently possible today because most view wallets can also see the outputs going in. And once again, I want to iterate this is something new that I haven't seen implemented in other cryptocurrencies to my knowledge. So it's really cutting edge and really cool stuff. And as you work your way down the tiers here, you get more, um, power and less privacy because you, you can have a wallet on the find and receive tier where they can recognize all your public addresses and see your outputs that that's sent to you. So you can see your balance, but you can't see things that were sent from. And as you get progressively down more, you get more powerful. And it's really cool. You can build out some really cool things. You can imagine that in order to accept Monero, you can simply, simply give your, um, the highest tier here, you give that to someone instead of giving your address today. And that offers you a lot more privacy. That way you can make a payment, um, you, you can accept Monero payments and not have the person who's helping you accept Monero payments be able to see anything about your output, which is, which is really cool today. Yeah. And it's, it's for really good, like, uh, like vendor use case, right? So you. Oh can... yeah. It's, it's, it's amazing. I mean, today we're pretty blessed. Things like Cake Wallet allow you to get a, a full node running. So we're not as dependent on light wallets as we used to be, but this is going to completely, the, the stuff we're going to see out of this is going to be really cool. And I honestly don't, haven't quite wrapped my head around what they will be viewing mm -hmm. or what will happen. And then <laughs> there appears to be hair on the screen. Am, am I the only one seeing that? 
<laughs> Where did that get made with? Oops, I was playing around with something. <laughs> I pressed, oh no, it's done. I need to remove it. <laughs> Shit. This is hilarious. Oh no. So we got some live antics? <laughs> yes, you do. Oh, there you go. Now I remove it. Well, now Doug's gone. What you do with Doug? <laughs> yes. Where'd you get that? Where'd you get that? I think uh, we clicked on, I don't know who clicked on it, it wasn't me. Brandy, like, clicked an old, uh. That was, that was the hair from. That, yeah, yeah, that was the hair for Halloween ago. No, what do they call though? What is that? For those two dudes? Island called? Boys. The Island Boys. <laughs> Can we get the Island Boys at Monerotopia? I think at this point they've like you know they've plummeted to zero, like like a like a shit coin. I, I don't think they're really around much. We might be able to pull them for Monerotopia. No special guest, uh, Island Boys over there. <laughs> Sorry, man. Sorry about that. Go ahead. No, you're good. <laughs> um, so basically, um, <laughs> what this means, as Doug hinted at earlier, is you'll get some really good adoption from the. Easy- It'll make it easier and more secure to accept Monero, which is always good for the market. You'll get faster sync times. You'll get better privacy. You'll also get some really cool multi-signature ability. And I just want to add that these there are seven design variations, so the development is still ongoing. So if you're really interested in this stuff, there's literally a meeting, I believe, like once a week talking about this stuff. And you can find it in the – if you Google Monero Seraphis Wallet Worker Meeting, there's literally like a, a meeting a week where they discuss these things. It's really cool to watch – People like Doug mentioned, like Justin, the experts talk about these things in the open chat room. It's really, really innovating. And um, yeah, that's pretty much it for the updates on the on the dev section. Very cool, man. Very cool. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I don't think we really realize what we're what we're in for, right? That the changing of addresses quite impactful, right? We're Yo, deprecate yeah. the old addresses. So if you have if you have an old Monero QR code, like for example, gratuitous, right? We put, mm-hmm. we put the QR codes on our, on our bags of coffee that we sell so people can tip. Uh, those are going to be deprecated, right? We're going to have to, we're going to have to create new addresses. Uh, so old, I mean, it's good. It kind of clears mm-hmm. out old existing, right? You really don't want old crypto addresses out there. I, granted, Monero uses stealth addresses. Uh, but good practice really isn't to have addresses sitting out there on the internet that people are engaging with. Um, but there is going to be that transition period when old addresses are deprecated and people have to move to new ones. Obviously anybody that's, you know, running a wallet, like a cake wallet mm-hmm. or the GUI, it's going to happen seamlessly. You know, your, your private key isn't, isn't going to change, right? I know that that's yeah. changing, but the, the way addresses are created. And so, uh, Addresses that were created previous to this change will, will be deprecated, deep addresses. Yeah, and I, I think that some people see that disruption as bad, but I think if you look at the history, like Zcash has a really bad problem where they can't get rid of clear net addresses, and it pretty much ruins the privacy of their network. So it's very the fact that Monero can do this is is amazing. We can just be like, you know what, this isn't good for privacy. We need we need to use a new address types, and using new address types itself would be so powerful. So it's definitely worth the, the trouble of upgrade. Yeah, and it's going to lead to some really interesting use cases that I don't think people even realize yet. Like we're saying, like with point point of sale systems, right? So where you know the the private keys don't need to be as uh, nobody would have access to your private keys, and mm-hmm. point of sale system can work in a very seamless way where those using it uh, can view and see things, but without having access to the funds. Granted, there's ways to do that now, but mm-hmm. it's just not in a very user friendly way where. It, People can really program systems like that, but once Seraphis is implemented, my understanding 
it'll be much easier to do those things uh new Vs. Oh yeah, it's gonna like I said, big adopt big adoption make it so so much easier to accept payments, which is so good. And then like I said, I want to iterate, no other wallet has this ability yet. But as far as I know, this is cutting edge Monero technology and it's really beautiful. Awesome, man. Thank you so much. Apologies yeah. for the uh <laughs> Sorry about that. No, you're good. Please, all right. Wouldn't be Monero to help you without it. But I gotta say, I'm, we're doing better than I thought, considering Sunita's not in the studio right now. So Oh, you're doing great, Doug. Kudos to us. I'd I'd hit the clap. All right, I'm even pulling that off. All right. Thank you so much, man. Uh, Stick around if you can. Mm -hmm. There's a lot, lot more content ahead. We're gonna do run through the try to run through the news. Tony's not here, but I'll be doing that. And Sunita, what else do we got? Who else do we got? Do we have anybody? You have a special guest? It's me. It's you. (laughs) It's me. All right, Sunita is. Hold on. I'll be after the news. You're gonna gonna come after the news. All right. Yeah, I think after the news. All right. Let's let's check you your real walk right now. Put your camera on. You gotta remove. Uh, oh, yeah. Okay. All right. Can can you remove your um screen? There you go. Yep, he's got it. And I'm gonna remove you the screen, and then if you wanna make me at work, I'm gonna do it. Work. This is all I got right now. Can you make me? Yeah. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Solo right. layout. Boom. There you go. Look at me. All right, guys. There's an event going oh, wow. on right now. So. Beautiful. Beautiful video. Yeah, it's like an oh, wow. arts awesome. festival. Yeah, it's like an arts festival. Right what now. time does it start? It starts at like 10. So guys, check this out. Anybody that's uh, in the spaces you might want to check out, this is the venue. It's uh, it's beautiful. It's really nice. So they have little festivals like this pretty much every weekend. Um, this is the marketplace. Very cool. So this is going to be the feel of Monerotopia, guys, except all the vendors are going to be accepting Monero if we, if we pull it off, and I'm sure certain we will. We will. Uh, it's going to be that integrated into the conference itself. This is awesome. You want to uh, show, show them the dome? And, yeah, obviously the hope is the vendors uh, will, you know, in addition to selling handmade items and things like that, they'll also be selling food. I'm hoping we'll have a Mezcal vendor there. Maybe we'll have a, a local marijuana distributor. Um, there, you know, there's there's different laws over there than there are here in New York City. Now it's legal in, the, in New York, but I'm told they've had they've had actually like marijuana uh, conferences or uh, events at this venue. So somehow they they pull it off. So we might we might have some interesting vendors in that respect as well. So that'll be cool. Oh, wow, look at this fresh honey and vegetables. Oh yeah. wait, stop! I want to see that. Yeah. Look at that. That looks delicious. Yeah. This is going to be awesome. So, guys, yeah, if you have an Airbnb, you'll be able to buy your fresh fruits and vegetables and eggs and go back to your Airbnb and cook it. You buy it with Monero. I mean, you can really do it right if you come down. We'll be we'll be here for you. This is cool. And this is the dome. Yeah, this is the dome. I don't know if you can walk in, guys. And, yeah, inside the dome, is that will be the main stage. We'll have the main stage. It's really nice. It's beautiful. It's not too big. You know, we could fit probably a hundred people in there, but we'll have spillover. We'll have large screens outside throughout the venue. So you can be on the other side of the venue and, you know, watching the presentations. So you don't have to sit in the dome the whole time, be out chilling, drinking coffee, drinking a towel. This is cool. That's the entrance over there. Yep. All right. Showing you everything, guys. 
Nita, should I should I jump to news and then we'll come back to you? You want yeah. you want to see if you can get one of them to just like give a like literally like a five minute talk, like like we could just ask them to t- tell us about the venue because it is an interesting story. Yeah, sure. yeah, so no, I'll, I'll do the news. Yeah, yeah. But if you could find Jessica or whatever, you tell like literally just like a three minute pitch on what Puerto uh, Romo Verde is. The Monerotopia Weekly News segment is sponsored by IVPN. Use a VPN to help prevent your online activity from becoming a permanent record. IVPN encrypts your data and DNS requests so your IST or mobile network provider cannot monitor or log your online activity. Purchase an IVPN service today anonymously with Monero. Okay, a lot of new stories. Tony isn't here, so I actually really haven't had time to take a good look at them, but uh, so I'll be learning the news with you guys. So first story, Pakistan banks agree on blockchain-based KYC system development. The blockchain national eKYC banking platform aims to strengthen anti-money laundering capabilities while countering terror financing. So Pakistan, uh, the Pakistan banks are putting in a national KYC system, it seems like, um, for blockchain. How exciting, guys. Uh, luckily, we Monero, right? We're not planning on using the Pakistani banking uh, crypto banking system the the bank the pakistan banks association a group of 31 traditional banks operating in pakistan signed off on developing a blockchain based know your customer uh platform on march 2nd the pba signed the project contract to develop pakistan's first blockchain based national kyc banking platform the move aims to strengthen anti-money learning capabilities while countering terror financing an initiative led by the state bank so they're they're using the technology of crypto to better improve tracking and tracing of transactions for the proposed purpose of countering terrorist financing. Will it accomplish that? Sure, potentially. But what else will it do? It will track and trace everyone's transactions. This is something those most of those I would say in Monero fear and why we're so passionate about Monero. We don't want to live in this dystopia, uh, kind of a one-world government where all transactions are perfectly tracked. But there is a portion of society, a very strong and powerful portion, that is trying to push us all in that direction. This is just the latest example of that. The member banks included international establishments such as the Industrial Commercial Bank uh, of China, Citibank, and Dutch Bank. More of the blockchain platform will improve operational efficiencies, primarily aimed at improving customer experience during onboard. So isn't that nice? Our, our customer experience will. Pakistan based. The Amanda Group has been tasked to develop the blockchain based KYC platform named Consonance. Consonants, which will be used by member banks to standardize and exchange customer data via decentralized and self-regulated network. However, the customer details will be shared based on consent, allowing banks to assess existing and new customers. Joining other countries in the race to develop a central bank digital currency, Pakistan recently signed new laws to ensure the launch of a CBDC by 2025. Crazy. The SPB will issue licenses to electronic money institutions for CBDC issuance. These landmark regulations are a testament to the S- 
BP's commitment toward openness, adoption of technology, and digitization of our financial system. It's a deputy governor of SP. Um, yeah, man. So it's it's more of the same news. Their their CBDC is scheduled to launch in 2025. We're already seeing test nets up around the world. Some of them are already launched. Uh, we haven't seen great adoption in Nigeria. But, you know, like I've said, my pushback there is, yes, uh, we're not seeing, you know, the plebes in, uh, in Nigeria jump onto the CBDC system yet, but that doesn't mean it's not going to happen. Uh, the way these things are going to work is people are going to be funneled into these systems through coercion and force by the government. Uh, they're going to slowly turn the screws and they're going to force people to onboard. Uh, next story, Iran, Iran completes a pre-pilot phase of central bank digital currency. Here you go. So they just had their their pre-pilot phase. The Central Bank of Iran progresses with CBDC development in anticipation of a visit by the Bank of Russia's governor. Iran, uh, Iran is moving forward with the central bank digital currency plans, completing preliminary research for the launch of a potential digital real. The Central Bank of Iran has completed a pre-pilot phase in the development of Iran CBDC according to an official statement by CBI's research arm. Um, head of CBI Office for Supervising Payment Systems announced the news at the 9th Annual Conference of Electronic Banking. He noted that Iran's central bank plans to increase the scope of the CBDC pilot in the country's payment system, but doesn't want to rush its implementation. The pre-pilot phase ended successfully with valuable achievements. The project will soon be launched in other ecosystems and will be used by more users. So here we go. You know, they're, they're, trying, to, they're trying to onboard people. The executive pointed out that the rules governing a potential digital real will align with those established for the real banknotes. Manny Yekta also noted that a digital real would be distributed among individuals and banks with the CBDC infrastructure recreating some blockchain features. Amani Yakta reported, reportedly said that 10 banks in Iran have applied to join the Digital Riyadh project. Banks like Bank Malil, Bank Malata, Bank Tajarat were involved in the experimental phase. All banks and credit institutions in Iran are reportedly expected to start offering electronic wallets for using the upcoming digital currency. Wow, all banks in Iran are reportedly expected to start offering electronic wallets that are going to allow people to use these CBDCs. As previously reported, the CBI started planning to launch the CBDC pilot in January 2022, following years of initial research since 2017. The regulator, you know, when we were talking about it back then, it, it seemed like it was it was so far away in the future, right, that we may may see these things, CBDCs. It was, it was theoretical back in 2017 when they were tinkering with it, but here it is, guys. The regulator reportedly started rolling out a CBDC pilot in September 2022, aiming to improve financial inclusion and compete with global stable coins. Oh, so it's all because they want to make it more inclusive, guys. That's why. It's not that they want to track and trace all our transactions, perfectly control the monetary system. It's they want to make a more inclusive system. Um, I'm being sarcastic. Uh, Iran's digital real project called the crypto real, uh, called the crypto real is pegged to the national currency, the Iranian real at a one to one ratio. The digital currency reportedly runs on a platform known as Borna, which was developed using Hydroledger fabric. The open source enterprise blockchain platform established by United States technology giant IBM. Okay, so IBM is behind this. They built the quote unquote blockchain tech 
that this Iran CBDC is being built on. The news comes among the Iranian authorities preparing to hold an official meeting with the Bank of Russia's governor, who is expected to visit Iran in the near future. Russia and Iran will reportedly be working together to create a gold-backed stablecoin. This is that would serve as a payment method in foreign trade, right? So uh, Russia is, as we know, is scrambling to essentially devalue the U.S. dollar. Um, one way to do that is, you know, to launch this idealistic gold-backed uh, stablecoin, right? Um, it's it's interesting the competition we're seeing among states and cryptos. Hopefully, the best and purest will win. Obviously, governments and states will try their damnness to prevent things like Monero from succeeding. But given the technology, I think we're all confident that it will, in the end, rise to the top. The cream will rise to the top. But they're going to try their damnness to stop it along the way. And what I think is interesting, they're going to try to compete with it along the way too, right? So there's, there's going to be two, two ways they're going to try to stop things like Bitcoin and Monero. One is, you know, just through strong regulations, through coercion, through for, making it difficult for people not to use true cryptos. And the second is to compete with features. So a gold-backed stablecoin might sound pretty good to some if it's state-controlled, right? It sounds very reliable. Uh, it might be more reliable than the U.S. dollar, right? That's what that's what they're intending, right? To create this kind of perfectly quote-unquote stable crypto. Um, next story. This is a big one. We we brought this up a little bit during the development section. Monero transaction confirmations are now sixty cents. 60 seconds faster, thanks to Hashvolt, Monero Ocean, Support XMR, and Nanopool. On January 19th, this is a post by Rucknium, by the way, so he's the one who kind of pretty much pushed this initiative forward. He will be speaking at Monerotopia. He'll be giving a presentation. This, as far as I know, this is the first time he will be publicly presenting. Uh, he, he's going to remain anonymous. He's going to do it remotely. But he's going to put on a presentation. He's going to disguise his voice, I believe. Rucknium really uh, strives to stay anonymous, and we totally support that and encourage that. He's an extremely valuable asset in the Monero community, and it's important that guys like him or gals uh, stay stay anonymous so it's more difficult for any type of state coercion to, to enter into the Monero development sphere. Obviously, there's those that aren't anonymous, um, but it's nice that we have kind of this underbelly of of devs that are working anonymously behind the scenes and staying out of harm's way. On January 19th, I released research showing mining pools were delaying the first confirmations of Monero transactions by a full minute on average. I said the delay could be eliminated if pool operators changed their pool software configurations to update the block template more frequently. I have good news. Most major pools did exactly that. Uh, I continue to collect the transaction confirmation data after the release of the initial analysis. The average time that a Monero transaction has to wait for its first confirmation has fallen from 3.5 minutes to 2.5 minutes. That's a full minute improvement in less than two months. The plot below shows the quicker confirmation times. 
So this is really cool, right? Within two months, we're seeing a, a, a drop of one minute, 60 seconds in Monero transaction confirmation. And, you know, this is like the type of thing, you know, a, a, a white swan event, I guess you would call it. Like, you know, something that happens out of nowhere, right? That you see these large step function improvements in Monero, right? That things happen. There's really smart people working on this project in an open source manner, and you just don't know what's going to happen next, right? It's not stagnant. It's not like you can't look at this and be like, oh, it's not going to scale. It's not going to... I mean, there's arguments as to why, theoretically, it does scale anyway. But even ignoring the architecture of Monero itself, discount you can't discount the fact that it's current, always under development, and there's really intelligent people that are constantly trying to prove it. And here's just an example of that. So overnight, we're seeing improvements in Monero's transaction confirmation times. This isn't something anybody would have predicted because how would you? It was essentially kind of discovered and then so very exciting to see. And we're very, very proud and happy to have Rockdium as a speaker of Monerotopia. Let's give him a round of applause. Super excited for that. Very excited. We're actually creating a whole second stage for remote speakers. And this is going to allow us to fit everybody in at the conference. Because I think we're, we're approaching like 30 speakers. If you include remote and people that will be in person and all the projects, uh, that's a lot. It's a lot of speakers. So Monerotopia 22 in Miami. Anybody that was there knows it was, it was amazing, fantastic, but it was a freaking marathon. That's why we did, we created two days of conference for this one, but it's going to be just as, a, just as jam packed except for two days. So it's going to be more of a marathon. Actually, correction, not two days because now we're adding the uh, a third day, right? So originally Friday was going to be just a welcome party, but it's now essentially going to be the beginning of the conference because we just don't have time. And we we managed when Sunita went down to the venue, uh, she's down there now, she was able to land Friday completely. So we'll actually begin setting up hopefully even Thursday night. Friday we'll continue setting up, and then by Thursday afternoon we'll open it up for people to start coming in and hanging out. Hopefully around like three o'clock, people can shuffle in, get their badges or whatever, whatever we're going to use for um, as a swag item to determine who's part of the conference. And we'll have a little party, a DJ on day one. We'll have drinks flowing, and we'll have at least three to four talks that day. Uh, they'll be maybe more lighthearted in terms of not like deep, like technical talks, but just kind of more philosophical uh, talks about why, why Monero is important, why crypto is important, why we're all so that really cool. But we have to actually do it just so we can fit in all the talks. Uh, next story, coincards.com. Here's a breakdown. Coincards will be remotely participating. Another example, they're, they're going to, they'll be on the remote stage. Uh, they're going to give a quick little lightning talk just to give us an update on coincards and they'll be part of adoption alley. Here's a breakdown of usage by volume on coincards by percentage of February 23. BTC is at 40.8% and XMR is at 17%. So that's the global number. So XMR is number two, coming in at 17%. In Canada, we, we've always found this strange, right? But there, are, you know, people do have some uh, theories as to why this is the case. BTC number one, Ethereum number two, and LTC number three, and then XMR number four. Uh, so, so the status of of Canada are not are not adopting Monero as quickly as the liberty loving individuals of the USA, where Monero is by far number one, exceeding even. BTC by a tremendous amount at 62.7% of all USA coin card usage is Monero. And the second is Bitcoin at only 15%. 
that is tremendous. That is tremendous. Let's get Monero up to number one globally. It just makes sense, right? If you're using crypto for the purposes of transacting and buying things anonymously, for example, a gift card, why wouldn't you be using Monero for those purposes? So slowly, I think people are realizing that, as, as we all know here. Next story, uh, our beloved son Shocker, Sunita, my wife, was on Bitfinex's show giving a talk. She did an amazing job. Uh, I didn't watch it. I just kind of heard her from the other room. She was doing it. So, guys, definitely check that out. Give her some, give her some love and support. It was very good. Um, yeah, and then she, she ran the meetup last night. Sunita, Sunita's on fire right now. I don't know what happened. I, I like, I, I think she's, she's trying to take over Monero Talk, Monero Topia. I don't know what's going on, guys. So if I disappear, Centrocker is the main suspect. Um, she, she's taken over. Next story, solo travel to Monero Topia. Somebody just posted this on Reddit. This is kind of funny. Somebody's saying, is it safe to travel down to Mexico City on your own? Uh, I plan on traveling solo from the United States to Mexico City by plane from an Aerotopia, assuming plane ticket prices come down a little in May. Uh, I don't know about that, whoever this is. Uh, if you're going to come, just buy your tickets now. You know, you don't, don't, they're probably not going to come down. They're going to go up. That's usually how things work. Uh, I'm a little worried about my safety in Mexico City alone, at least based off the news I know of. It's... I know it's exaggerated, which has been talking about increased cartel violence and kidnapping of travelers coming from the United States. So I'd like to get the Monero community's opinion on the topic of safety. So, I mean, obviously, this is very reasonable, right? People are concerned about their safety, and I, I, I get that. We're not trying to put anybody in danger. But just, you know, real-world example, Sunita is down there, you know, knock on wood. You know, I hate saying this because you don't want to, you don't want to but she's down there. She's safe. She's having a great time. We've been down there multiple times. She's down there by, by herself, right? We have some friends down there. But for the most part, traveling by herself. Safe. The Roma district of Mexico City is a very safe area. Um, there's, you know, you, you don't you don't feel safe walking around the streets. Obviously, you don't, you know, you gotta be, you have your wits about you. It's part of a major city. Mexico City is a tremendous metropolis. It's like, I don't know, like over 13 million people, much larger than, than New York City, than Manhattan. There's areas of it that you would definitely not want to go into as a, as somebody who's not from there, right? Um, but the Roma district, very safe. You see police all over the place walking the streets. They really actively try to keep it safe. And it's actually just very calm. You know, there's parts of Mexico City city that have tons of traffic kind of air air pollution because of all the traffic but the roma district is this beautiful little area of the city it's kind of more of a village-esque it's more like the like the west village in, in manhattan they keep it very nice so knock on wood uh it's it's beautiful so just get down to roma get an air the airbnbs are very safe and beautiful the weather's amazing although yeah. it will tech up oh, so you need to jumping on what's I'm up here no I'm, no I'm just talking i'm listening to what you're saying did, did you see this you post? It? You know, I, I don't want to like push our luck and say, you know, guys, obviously guys be safe. I, I respect. No, be safe guys, everyone. Please yeah, I respect safe, the people are so asking far, this question. Go ahead, Nita. No, yeah, be safe. I mean, but be safe everywhere, right? Everywhere you travel. But for the most part, thankfully, it's been kind of good. You right. know, you, I, I you the, myself. The meetup last night that you ran, I mean, were there any, were there yeah. any sketchy vibes or? No, no. Knock on wood again. I don't want to jinx myself, but everyone was super sweet. Everyone's super nice here. You know, I, I walked at night and, you know, obviously don't walk too late. 
Um, I felt safe. I felt good. My hotel that I'm staying at, which is actually one of the hotels that we suggested, was the most more affordable one. Love it so far. It was three days. So it was the, the Blanca. Casablanca or something. Casablanca, yeah, yeah. That one I'm staying at, really nice. Uh, everyone there is very nice. Rooms are clean. Very, very close to the venue. It's literally like a five-minute walk. Um, so far, so good, guys. So, again, you know, take precautions. Yeah, Anywhere guys, you go, to be honest. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Guys, definitely check out. And, and don't forget, we're going to be there together as a clan, right? So, you know, you'll for the most part, you'll be around other people. If you want to wander off, you're taking a risk, right? If you want to wander off. Yeah. I mean, Sunita and I did it when we went down to Mexico City. We, we like, trekked the city, you know? Yeah. But we, we were aware of what we were getting ourselves into. Sunita speaks Spanish very well. Um, and so we, we like doing those types of things. And it's the people are just beautiful, wonderful, loving people, uh, which you which, which say for most people around the world, right? And... Uh, and in particular, this area of Roma, it's just very nice. Like, pol- there's like no pollution, right? There's no, no, um, there's no garbage on the street. It's clean, a lot. Very, very clean. Manhattan, the New York City. Uh, you don't see homeless people on the streets. Not that there aren't homeless people in Mexico City, but for whatever reason, they keep that area very clean and nice. I mean, perhaps that's controversial because I don't know how they're, they're accomplishing that, but, uh, you walk around that part of the city and it's, it feels like you're, in one of the best places you can be. Um, oh, and yeah, and that we highly recommend that hotel because it's very cheap. It's like what, forty bucks a night? Very cheap. Yeah, it was like forty bucks a night, and the like only, I said very clean. People were really nice. The only um, thing they have, is, they have a restaurant on the first floor. Sorry, right? <laughs> Just tell me what the hotel I really enjoyed it. It's difficult to get a room because on when you go to their website or the Google, when you go to the Google on Maps, Google, yeah, and you their number is incorrect. So we're gonna put the correct number up because Sunita literally went down, took the Uber there and like showed up in person. And we're like, why aren't you guys answering the freaking phone? Um, so we'll get the correct number up there. And I think through their website itself, they have the correct number at least. Right. But call them up on and- their website. Yes. Go to their website. And that's the correct number. Do not click on call on Google maps. I don't know where it takes take you there. All the hotels we recommend are really good, but this one's the best for your yeah, this is- in terms of overall, yeah. like super close, super cheap. And very like nice, not sketchy at all, or yeah, dirty, nice. or beautiful. Um, next story, Dito. Let me keep going here. Uh, Biden budget proposes thirty percent tax on crypto mining electricity usage. So this is part of the big stories that we're seeing this week. Uh, there seems to be a lot of crackdown or inklings of it about to happen. In you know, for crypto in the United States, this is one of the major stories. United States crypto miners could eventually be subject to a thirty percent tax on electricity costs under a budget proposal by President Joe Biden aimed to reduce mining activity. So they want to add a tax to anybody that's using electricity for mining purposes in the U.S., a 30% tax. That's crazy. A Department of Treasury supplemented budget explainer paper release margin said any firm using resources, whether they be owned or rented, would be subject to an uh, excise tax equal to 30% of the cost of electricity used in digital asset mining. So we, we saw things in, 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 uh, different states, especially New York state. There was, uh, they were trying to ban, essentially ban, um, crypto mining in New York, um, by way of passing a bill to, that would prevent the retrofitting of old utility, uh, p- power authorities for purposes of retrofitting them 
for crypto mining because they didn't like that it was quote unquote being used to create magic internet money and burn fossil fuels, right? So they wanted to stop that, right? Which is absurd, right? This is technology. The government shouldn't be telling us how we use our energy in the first place. It, the market should be telling us how we, if people want to use, have demand for using energy for these purposes, then we should allow the market to do that, right? Uh, and the government's putting a tax on that to try to prevent the natural tendency of the market to want to use scarce resources for purposes of uh, mining crypto and supporting the network. So it's interesting. Interesting that they have to go to these uh, great extents to try to stop crypto by, for example, now implementing a tax on anybody that wants to mine. In the uh, it proposed the tax would be implemented after December 31st, phased in over three years at a rate of 10% a year, reaching max 30% rate. 30. So you know, there's, there's so much to be said here, guys. This is like what we're talking about, right? Bitcoin miners, in particular, are susceptible to something like this. They're ASIC mined. They're becoming more centralized in ways. And those that argue otherwise, here's a perfect example. The government is able to effectively overnight implement a tax on the entire Bitcoin mining ecosystem in the United States, you know, with the, uh, with, with really nothing stopping them. Um, and that, to me, that's a sign of Bitcoin being susceptible to government coercion. So they're able to easily implement this tax because for the most part, all crypto miners in the U.S. are major, uh, companies that use ASICs. That are easily, easy to, to find and easy to send a letter to and easy to come collect their taxes on. And so they're, uh, using coercion to force these companies to comply with these new taxes. It's going to lead to, I'm sure, you know, regulatory capture. Essentially, those companies that are already large will stay large and they'll essentially potentially, uh, why it's a tax, uh, could benefit from things like this, making it more difficult from smaller companies to compete. And just the fact that they're able to do this versus something like Monero, which is as of today, CPU mineable only, right? Um, there is this in Monero, the CPU is, is the ASIC. There aren't any large ASIC farms mining Monero. You can, uh, compete with your CPU in the Monero network permissionlessly. And effectively what that does is prevent things like this where overnight a government can have an effect on the entire mining industry for your crypto. We saw it happen in China, right? Where China stepped in overnight, they banned, essentially banned Bitcoin mining. And what happened? Bitcoin, the, the hash rate plummeted. They were able to do this. The government was able to do this because they were very easy for them to round up all the Bitcoin miners, very easy to get the word out and enforce that when all the Bitcoin miners are companies with warehouses of large miners that need to bend the knee to the state if they want to exist. So overnight, the hash rate plummeted. And Bitcoiners, what was their take? Oh, well, look look what happened. All the hash rate moved to the U.S. That shows you how how uh, unstoppable Bitcoin is, right? They shut it down in, in China and it moves to the U.S. I think that's a really kind of asinine way of looking at it. What it showed is the state's ability to have influence over the, the mining network, uh, as exemplified by the state of China shutting it down overnight. And yes, the U.S. picked it up, 
But that doesn't mean the U.S. could essentially do the same thing. And here they are doing just that. Now, are they banning Bitcoin mining overnight? No, but they're greatly co-opting it and affecting it overnight. Um, and so that's my takeaway for this story. It's just a, another feather in the cap for Monero and its mission to be essentially mined by CPUs. One CPU, one vote is the goal. And it's a very powerful goal and will allow the network to stay decentralized. It's going to be, imagine if the U.S. government wanted to ban all Monero mining. So they'd essentially be exercising a 30% tax on anybody that's using electricity to run a computer. So just think about that. Uh, and I don't think that's going to be very difficult. If it, if they tried to do it, it'd be extremely difficult uh, in practice, carry it out. Next story, U.S. government's 1 billion Bitcoin transfer spooks investors, Bitcoin dips. So this was interesting. People were, were following the money as they always do in Bitcoin. The price of Bitcoin dip, this is a little bit of an old news for the week and early Wednesday because news happened so fast in Bitcoin, but this happened this week as well. Uh, Bitcoin dipped to 22,000 since dipped much further because of other catastrophes that's happened. Early Wednesday, after authorities moved some of the Bitcoin to Coinbase controlled wallets. So people got scared. They saw the U.S. authorities transferred 1 billion worth of Bitcoin recovered from a dark web hack to new wallet addresses, including one owned by Coinbase. So everybody's watching the U.S. government move the money to Coinbase and I guess speculating that it's going to be sold off, which is kind of unique because traditionally, Anytime the U.S. government has obtained Bitcoin through coercion, of course, taking it away from people, uh, people that uh, did illegal things, they came and took away their their Monero. I mean, their Bitcoin. I'm sorry. Well, um, you know, this unconfiscatable asset seems to be confiscated quite a bit, quite a bit. This this asset that's claimed to be uh, impossible to to confiscate. Uh, it seems like when the U.S. government wants it, they go ahead and go get it. So recently we're seeing a billion dollars worth that they have from a dark web hack. And like I said, traditionally the way the government's handle is they've, they've auctioned it off. They've auctioned off their Bitcoin, which have caused, uh, you know, ripples in the market. But now the ripples in the market are coming from watching the U.S. government move their Bitcoin to what appear, you know, appears to be Coinbase. Uh, and I, you can only guess for the purposes of, I guess, liquidating it. I don't know how the legalities of that and why now they're able to just sell it versus doing an auction. I, I'm not following the story too closely. I don't know if there has been any movement in terms of them actually selling. Um, people can bring me up to speed on that in the comments. Anybody knows. Uh, but, you know, this is just kind of another story of Bitcoin being com- completely traceable, and this is one of the features of it. And you can watch Bitcoin as they move, even a billion dollars worth that's controlled by the government. It spooks the entire market wait to satoshi's coins then we'll then we'll see a real spook in the marketplace um not that that would ever happen guys but you never know getting crypto firms to do their work within the bounds of the law gary gensler wrote an opinion piece on the ninth so three two days ago um on kind of the the state of crypto and crypto regulation and just kind of coming out and whining and saying, you know, it's securities, everything's security. Nobody's listening to me. I told everybody it was security. Um, 
We've been clear that most crypto tokens that are backed by entrepreneurs, among other features, are likely to be securities. So he's saying the vast majority of all crypto is considered a concern. We've been clear how lending and staking platforms come under the securities laws. We've been clear that platforms listing crypto securities must register with the SEC. Further, the securities laws are clear that these platforms are not to combine functions under a single umbrella that creates conflicts of risk for investors. Investor. So he's just coming down, reminding everybody that he thinks everything is a security. I still, I think my, you know, I think his only exception is Bitcoin. And I think he, I think he's labeled a thrown Ethereum in that, in that mix as like saying no Ethereum. I think he's come out and said that. Um, but you know, that can change, which leads to the next story. New York attorney general alleges ether is a security in KuCoin lawsuit. Um, so they're basically coming out for purposes of going after KuCoin for, uh, illegal securities trading, right? They're, they're an exchange. And one of the allegations against them is that they're allowing people to trade securities illegally. And one of those securities allegedly being Ether. So in the court case, uh, or the New York attorney general is for, for this case to essentially have have merit or grounding, uh, they're considering trying to label ETH as a security. A press release said the lawsuit was part of ongoing efforts to crack down on unregistered cryptocurrency platforms. New York State Attorney G- General Latita James, obviously doesn't really love crypto that much, filed suit against KuCoin on Thursday, alleging the, the Seychelles, Seychelles-based crypto exchange is violating security laws by offering tokens, including Ether. So they're including Ether in that mix of what they're calling tokens, right? They're not labeling, they're not saying, oh, except Ether, it's like Bitcoin, it's not a security, it's something else. That must meet the definition of a security without registering with an attorney general's offices. So because this exchange is allowing people to trade uh, tokens, including Ether, they're saying they you know, need to register with the SEC before people can exchange securities. The suit is the first time a regulator has claimed in court that Ether is a security. So we're starting to, oh, and here we go. Through Securities and Exchange Commission, Chairman Gary Gensler has hinted that his agency might consider Ether to be a security. Okay, so this is news to me, because I, I know he, I thought he had kind of put it in the Bitcoin basket of not being a security. Obviously, we're seeing Letitia James, New York State General, uh, moving Ether over, trying to move Ether over into the security basket. And it appears that Gary Gensler, the SEC chairman, is also agreeing and hinting at that. The SEC's sister regulatory agency, the Commodity Futures Trading Commission, the CFTC, has long maintained that both Bitcoin and Ether are commodity assets. So we have these different regula- regulate regulatory bodies. You know, this has been happening since day one, well, not day one of crypto, but in the early days of crypto, we were trying to figure out how to define it. And obviously, every regulatory body has the incentive to define it on their own terms, right, um, so that their regulations apply to it. But this is interesting. I mean, this is this is tremendous news if ETH becomes uh, labeled a, and considered a security in the eyes of the United States government. James Suit argues that Ether is considered a security under the Martian Act, a 102-year-old New York anti-fraud law that gives the Attorney General powers to investigate securities fraud and bring both civil and criminal actions against violators. Because the value of Ether is dependent on the efforts of others, including co-founder Vitalik Buren. So, um, 
you know, you got the, what is it, the Howey test. So this is a, one of the arms of the Howey test. They're focusing in on this concept of the value of ether is dependent on the efforts of others. So if there's others that are uh, behind uh, an asset that are are building it and have the ins- that are incentivized to build it for the purposes of profiting, then the selling of that asset is can be considered a, a security or traditionally has been. And so, you know, with Bitcoin, the argument is, well, there are no, you know, there is nobody behind it. Satoshi was anonymous. It it developed in this in this way where there's no company or group that stands to benefit from it. It's open source. It is a product of nature, right? It, it just came, it just organically came to be as opposed to something like Ethereum, which has a CEO, essentially Vitalik. He is the face of Ethereum. He's the creator of Ethereum. He is the visionary. He's the one that pitched Ethereum to the world and then sold it, right? I remember I was there. Granted, I should I should have bought some, but I didn't. I didn't want to spend my I was BTC Maxi at the time and uh for one Bitcoin, which at the time I remember uh was valued around three hundred dollars, would get you two thousand Ethereum in the Ethereum pre-sale. So they had a pre-sale for Ethereum. I remember that. I mean that's that sounds a little bit security-ish, right? They're pre-selling um um you know to so this group of people that stands to benefit from the price, we're out there selling it in a in a pre-sale. Get, come and get your Ethereum before we launch. <sighs> Frankly, I don't know how it's not considered a security. I don't want to be I don't want to be labeled somebody who's rooting for any cryptos to be labeled securities because you know screw them. But the fact is, this is how states are going to operate. So I'm rooting for Monero and or other cryptos that are built in such a way that they're resistant to these labels. Um, and then even more so, even if they are labeled in this way, are resistant to practically being stopped. Uh, and ETH doesn't seem to really fall into this category of being a technology that can't be co-opted by the state, uh, Bitcoin either. According- hey, yes. I was wondering if I could um, say something about ETH really quick. Go so- for it. <clears throat> the way that it was, um, the way that it was sold, definitely there's a good case to be made that it was sold as an investment contract. Mm-hmm. And almost certainly, if there's a court case, that's probably what the SEC will argue. And I believe that's what they're arguing with Ripple right now, that the thing that they sold was an investment contract, but that's also a slightly different consideration than whether or not ETH is presently a security in its current form. Mm-hmm. More likely than not, um, it would it would almost certainly be ruled as currently not a security for the people holding it and using it, but um, it might have been sold as a security. So that's kind of a fine distinction there. Yeah, but it's it's a distinction that's up to the powers that be to make, right? So I, I understand the logic there, but on what side are they going to come down, right? Um, we don't know. And I, honestly, my 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 hunch is I agree with you. I don't I don't think I don't think will be labeled although with this this recent news is pretty is pretty damning um they're trying to i mean what do, what do you think body of this i mean we have the attorney general in new york alleging that eth is a security so I mean, they might there's probably a lot of things that they can do a lot of power they might have merely on the allegation um that probably gives them a lot of leverage i think that the ripple case is going to be very instructive for us 
um, how that turns out. It looks to me like the SEC has bumbled this case in almost every way possible. Now, maybe that's like, maybe that's on purpose. Um, Jesse Powell had a very good tweet the other day where he said that um, bureaucracies like the SEC, they tend to let the bad guys continue operating and they're, they say, oh, you know, we're investigating, we're collecting more information, we need more. But then they go after the little guys, the good guys that are actually like trying to comply. Guys like, um, uh, I think Reggie Middleton uh, is a famous name out there or some famous name that he tried to comply. He talked to them for two years. He tried to do everything right. And then they attacked him. Um, so I, I think there's a lot of sort of hidden agendas going on. It could very well be that Gary Gensler is, um, you know, it might be or maybe not just Gary Gensler, but it could be that the SEC is like intentionally bumbling this ripple case. But at any rate, I think it'll be very instructive for us to see how the ripple case ends. And then that'll probably just double on to you. So what, what, what <laughs> I love asking you these tough questions, but what, what do you what are the odds you think at the end of the day? ETH gets labeled a security in the eyes of the U.S. government, in the eyes of the SEC, where Chairman Gary Gensler, according to this article, has hinted that his agency might consider ETH security. What, 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 what are the odds you're giving this? Uh, 1%. Wow, <laughs> in, really? Okay. Yeah, in its current form, I, I think it's almost, it's extremely unlikely that they're going to be able to win a court case where they argue that ETH in its current form as a network is a security. They might be able to argue that it was sold as a security, as, as an investment contract, but um, I think it's... Oh, when, when, when in history, in case law, have we ever seen something that was sold as a security that was then no longer considered as... That's a great question. I can't think of a single one, but that doesn't mean they don't exist. <laughs> it doesn't mean they don't exist, but I don't know. This... This could uh, this could escalate pretty high in the legal system before we get a clear answer. It could, this could be something where the SEC does come down on it, you know, just throwing hypotheticals out there, and then you know maybe it becomes a, a Supreme Court case or something where it's tested and the law is tested. Uh, the, the SEC took a pretty big loss um, today. I think I, I read this news story just before the price report. Um, so GBTC and Grayscale was suing the SEC for denying their their uh, their spot ETF. So they have an ETF, but it's a futures-based ETF. It's, it's based on the price um, and what's happening at the Chicago Mercantile Exchange, not on the spot price of Bitcoin. So Grayscale sued the SEC, saying that they're being inconsistent and unfair. And um, a judge, I don't, I don't think they ruled anything yet, but they basically said that uh, they agree with Grayscale, that the SEC is being very unfair, um, that they're not applying the standard consistently. So, I mean, it, the SEC just, when they have to go to court, they... They seem like very powerful when they don't have to go to court, when they can just attack people with their massive infrastructure and resources. But when they actually have to go to court up against people that have billions of dollars, it seems like they have a much more difficult time um, arguing their case because we all see it. They're being completely unfair. They're, they're not being consistent. They're intentionally not providing solid um, solid guidance. They, uh, they want the gray area. They want free lanes, free range to do whatever they, they want to do. So um, I, I think a lot of these court cases are going to set the tone here, and um, that would be great. Like, I mean, don't get me wrong, all the scams, and I, I hate Ripple. They, I think they falsely marketed themselves and all kinds of stuff, partnerships. But um, I would rather deal with the problems of a few extra people or maybe even a lot of corporate scumbags kind of running around doing their scams or whatever than to have to deal with the problems attendant with a very centralized, powerful state that prevents you from doing any kind of because mm -hmm. at least we can still do the innovation um, if we're not totally shut down by the government. That would be my. Let me hear you. I don't want to put you on the spot, but can can you strongman the case as to why ETH could be considered a security? 
what what do you think of the stronger our strongest arguments for it? Because I you know I, I think about it. I think about ETH versus Monero. I think there's a much stronger case to be had for ETH being a security than something like Monero. So I guess the the classic things that we're looking for is the Howey test, mm-hmm. um, where people sent funds to a common managerial pool with the expectation of profit derived solely from the efforts of those managers. And right now you could call the Ethereum Foundation basically that sole managerial effort. They took the, I think it was 10%, they kept 10% of the supply when they did the presale, mm-hmm. and they still have a significant amount of that. So um, the work that they do is causing the value of the Ethereum token to rise. Yeah. So you could basically say that even the secondary sales, you could try and steal me and argue that even those secondary sales of Ethereum are people depending on the managerial efforts of the Ethereum Foundation to increase the value of these tokens that they're holding. And whether it's a piece of paper, like a, like a stock, you know, where Hershey's back in the day, everyone just used to trade these paper stocks, or whether it's a digital um, a digital asset or digital, digital issuance, it's still the same concept. So you could definitely try to make a very good case that e- even in its current form, is uh, is very much uh, a security and investment contract, specifically when you point to some of the centralized um, providers of uh, uh, of like how to actually access the blockchain. Right, we're talking like Infura and Consensus, the kind of wallets and infrastructure. You could you could show how centralized those guys are and how much how connected they are to the Ethereum Foundation as well, and then try and wrap them up as part of the managerial effort as well. Exactly. So Steel man case. And then I think additionally is the proof proof of stake. I think there's arguments to be made how proof of stake kind of tends towards uh, potentially being uh, running into sec- securities issues. What do you think? There? What's that? Uh, well, I guess for us, I was going to say how so. Like, I, I'm not. I don't quite see how proof of stake could um, necessarily boost the uh, the argument that ETH in its current form is a security. What's your connection there? What's your logic? Well, because people people are are staking the crypto, right? They're holding it with the expectation that it's going to go up in value, um, as opposed to proof of work mining. It's more direct, like you're you're making an investment with the uh, hope of a return on it. The SEC definitely ruled against um, Kraken recently, saying that um, staking on behalf of other people. With the expectation of yield is a security, and then Kraken backed down to pay. I believe it was thirty million dollars. That was very recent. Tony covered that a couple of weeks ago. I, I'm not sure, like staking itself. I guess um, maybe. I mean, so you're. I'd have to. I'd have to think about that. It, it seems a little bit more tenuous, but yeah, it's more. It's more tenuous, but I think it's just another argument to be made. It's another step in the direction of you know, getting a little closer towards, you know, uh, reasonings for why it can be labeled a security. But, yeah, yeah interesting stuff. Uh, I, I, I'd i be very surprised if ETH was labeled a security in the U.S., but you know, given how crazy things are. Um, but, yeah, let me, let, me, let me keep going here. Uh, next story, Silvergate downfall sparks debate over whose fault it actually was. So we, we covered this story pretty well. The demise of the crypto-friendly bank has prompted discussion about who tipped the first domino and where crypto firms can turn for their banking needs. The voluntary liquidation of Silvergate has sparked many to share their thoughts about the source of its troubles and the broader impact of the crypto-friendly bank's collapse on crypto. From lawmakers to crypto analysts, crypto firms, executives to commentators, nearly everyone's had something to say regarding the recent announcement from Silvergate. Some United States lawmakers have used the moment to make a comment about the state of the crypto industry, labeling it risky, volatile sector, 
which spreads risk across the financial system. Senator Elizabeth Warren called Silvergate's failure disappointed but predictable, calling for regulators to step up against crypto risk. She tweeted, as the bank of choice for crypto, Silvergate's bank bank failure is disappointing but predictable. I warned of Silvergate's risk risky, if not illegal activity, and identified several due diligence failures. Now customers must be made whole and regulars should step up against crypto risk. So they're using this as a moment to say, we need more regulations. We need, we need to, you know, uh, close in on crypto even more, which leads to our, our last story. Operation Choke Point 2.0 is the U.S. coming for crypto. So there's a lot of rumors out there that kind of all these recent moves, uh, you know, the the Biden administration talking about 30 percent tax, uh, things like the New York Attorney General's office is trying to label ETH a uh, security, the collapse of the Silvergate Bank and the reaction of authorities. Um, that Operation Choke Point might be a real thing, which is essentially the op- operation of the U.S. government to cut off crypto from the banking system. Um, and so there's, there's this theory out there that this is, that this is real, that there's a, you know, kind of a real joint effort among various arms of the government to crack down on crypto and to cut it off from the traditional banking system. And or I'd say co-opted in a way where if it does exist with the traditional banking system, it exists in a way that the banks and by way of the banks, the government has control over it. So that's that's the news for today. It was a big week, big week all around. All right, let's move to the viewer on stage segment. Here we go, guys. It's the viewers on stage segment. It's that time where we invite you, the viewers, up on stage to comment on anything you've heard so far today, ask the guest a question, or maybe talk about one of the news topics. Come on down. All right. I think we did it. Sorry about that, guys. Um, go ahead. Anybody that wants to jump up, see Lip. Mano, what's going on, man? You want to jump up? Hello, hello. Mano's giving a thumbs up. Lip, what's going on? Anybody else want to? Oh, Mano's requesting. Let's get him up here. Oh, what's going on? What's going on? Yeah, I can hear you. Uh, but I, I'll wait to your special guest, but I'll make sure I speak up before you end the space. All right, brother. Yeah, let's, uh, let's hear from Matt. I haven't heard from him in a while. What's going on, man? Hey, Douglas. How are you, brother? <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. I, I'm so busy with, uh, with Coin Power, you know? So, uh, yeah, it's okay. How are you? Dude, what's, what's going on with Coin Power? Yeah, it's, it's actually very good. Uh, you know, I, I, I built a Discord. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm leading uh, a lot of new members now. You see in the bear market, a lot of people are scared, you know, and, uh, yeah, we are veterans, you know, and, uh, we already uh, know these things and yeah, a lot of people asking for help, you know, the, for leadership and, uh, yeah, I try to help them, uh, the best way I can. That, that there's no panic. And uh, today you see already with this, uh, new circus is going on with this, uh, stable coin depegging. <laughs> what a crap shit. Shit show, bro. It's a shit show. Well, well, yeah. What's your take, man? What's your take on all this? My take is that this is close to the end of the the bear market. That's my take. I say this because uh, we can compare this to like uh, April 2007. It happened with uh, USDT as well, the back from the dollar. But if you look at the BC price, then it was that was actually the ending of the last bear market before. 
from there it only went up, you know. And that time around in April, a lot of people was, were so scared what's going to happen, what's what's happening, and everybody was just focusing on what is happening on on, on you. They were focused on it as, uh, exactly how the banks wanted, you know, scared people, making people scared and everything. But uh, I, I always zooming out and try to look at uh, what, what's the purpose they're doing, what are the what's the purpose of everything that's happening today, and you see everyone is scared. Everybody is busy with, yeah, we're going down, it's the end. And uh, yeah, I love this shit. I love this stuff because for me, it's a sign that we are very close to the to the end of this uh, bear market. What do you think the effect is going to be of the USDC crash? I I, I, I think it's, it's Coinbase, uh, UC is too big to fail. I think it will be go back to uh, back to the dollar, maybe in a month. They will squeeze this shit out in this uh, drama. drama. They will squeeze it out, uh, you know, make people fair. Because on the end, that that's their goal. That's always their goal, you know. For me, this is me personally. I, I I look at these things very different. I look at these events as, as just as just act, you know. For me, it's just all fake. They they, <laughs> it's a big theater for me. I I see they, they they're all in it. They're all in it together just to scare the retail buyers and sellers, you know. It's just you know, and I think the feeling that I have right now is like. Uh, back then, that that it's it's we are now very very close to the bottom, you know. It's very very close to the bottom. Just shaking out the last people uh, out of the crypto market before they going to the market back up. That, that that's what I think. I think this is fine. It's fine. Maybe it go a little bit lower these days because uh, they will never, uh, you know, it's a good drama. They will never spoil it and uh, they will uh, squeeze it uh, till it's dry and then uh, then they leave it alone. You know, that's what I think. I hear you, man. I hear you. I mean, for me personally, my, I'm just so in, in the weeds and in the, in the woods with, with crypto, with Monero, you know, and actually using it and running our businesses that I'm just not paying attention really to these, these events. It's just different than, than, than the <laughs> early days, you know, yeah, in, yeah. in 2017 or when I first kind of got in in 2014 and Mt. Gox crashed, you know, I was there sitting watching, lurk, yeah. lurk, you know, what is going to happen? And now it's just, I've, I've grown so cold to it. It doesn't even yeah, affect uh, me anymore. I don't even, I don't even look. I mean, I, I, and, I and, just, and that's the thing, brother. That's right. the thing. You know, we are so, we are so old in this thing. We don't even, we're laughing at, you know, it's not even, you know, we are busy with our thing. You know, why I'm busy? Because I want to, 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 to tell my, my, my followers, the people that's saying, Hey, listen, stay calm, man. Just, just relax. This, this, don't, don't, the, the thing is that they want people to suck in into the story, right. you know? And then when you get sucked in, you know, get distracted and you only, uh, you know, uh, berries, you see the bears everywhere. And that's exactly how they want it. And they want your, your focus away from, from what you're doing. And it's very bad, but this is something you need to learn. You grow in this. Yeah. And it's also part of that whole, uh, operation choke point, right? The, the way, the way they push forward is they have, they have to win over the people. They, they, you know, especially here in the U.S., right? The, despite, uh, uh what Bitcoin may be, may be labeled at the end of the day, it is a democratic republic and they do need the political will to push in new regulations. So they see events like this yeah. as an opportunity uh, to uh, uh, excite, excite the populace about it. Uh, use scare tactics to scare everybody about crypto. Any major crypto failure. Yeah. Uh, we see the same yeah. thing again and they, the, they try to then ratchet up the regulations and use it as a moment yeah. to, Tell everybody, tell the world, big daddy government is here to protect you. Uh, now we're going <laughs> to pass these regulations to make sure you can't get hurt yeah. by these, by these evil things, these evil technologies. Yeah.
exactly. It's a, it's a shit show. It's like you know, like these things with 9/11 and this stuff. They 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 blowing this shit up, and then they 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 going to tell us what we need to do. That we need them. You know, you know, it's always it's always the same. Now they want regulation. Well, exactly as you say, they you will see coming days or coming weeks, you will see that they will come with new regulations. We need regulation. We need this, and it's all all always benefits them and not us. You know, it's always it's always this. we are crooks. Exactly, brother. Any any chance we yeah. see you down at Monerotopia, man? I know uh, it might be a hard a hard yeah. difficult trip for you. <laughs> yeah, there's a chance. Oh, where, where is it? Where is it? Man, man I hate flying. Bro. Oh yeah, yeah. I forgot. You don't fly at all. Flying, Dude, you just gotta you know gotta pop yeah. some Valium or something. Get on the plane. You just wake up. Yeah, and you're yeah. There. yeah. Come on, man. So he told me, he said, man, I'm so scared, bro. Well, I'm so, God, I'm so scared for flying. Where is it this time? Where, where's the... In Mexico here? City, man. We, we, we chose Mexico oh, City God. because we knew that's accessible, you know? You don't need a U.S. passport, you know, U.S. visa or anything. Just come over to Mexico, man. It's a beautiful place. It's, man, it's, it's flying. It's just on the other side here, but... Uh, yeah, you know, I, 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 do it. Yeah, you know, <laughs> I, I, I'm so scared of the flying, bro. Yeah, yeah. I'm so, Maybe with a video or something. Yeah. No, I know. Some people are just terrified. They're terrified of it. Yeah, I'm yeah, really it's terrified. I never it's irrational. Ask so... Body. Body. Yeah, Body's yeah, a pilot. So... Body, give, give him some insight. What's, how irrational is he to be afraid of a, of a commercial flight? Well, I could tell you all the statistics and the rationality of it, but that's still not going to, like, assuage your fear, right? But if your fear is that you're going to crash and die, um, you would be... Like it's amazing all of the different uh, safety features that they that they put on airplanes and in terms of procedures. These pilots, like every single one of these pilots, is just top notch. And then furthermore, most of the crashes that do happen, it's like ninety percent survival rate. So actually, dying in a fatal accident is um, is pretty low risk. Like in fact, extremely low risk. You're it's more dangerous to drive in Mexico City. You're more likely to get in a car accident and get hurt driving in Mexico City than you are flying into it, like by by huge insane amounts. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I I know this, you know, I know it. But I I I did I fly it once, two times, but uh, yeah, I tried it. But uh, you know, I'm I'm so scared. I want I want to sit on the on the seat uh, of the pilot. You know, otherwise. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man, it's, it's so scary. My hands are wet. I'm sweating. <laughs> I, you know, I, I counting every second. It's so bad for me. It's so bad. It's, I, I, if I could drive there, I would drive, but <laughs> or boat. Have you ever thought about going down and um, just taking a, a flight in like a Cessna 172 or something? Because you can sit right up there in the front. They'll let you fly. You know, they'll pull the power, and you'll be like, "Oh, everything still works. We're just gliding." Um, that might that might help you get over overcome that fear. Yeah, yeah, man. I, maybe I need something like this because uh, it, it's it's not healthy. I know it because also with vacations, you know, I want to go on good vacations, but but I I only go on vacation where I can go travel with my car. So it's a little bit. It, it's also a disability, actually. It's it's not. It's 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 it's. It sounds funny, but it, it actually it is funny <laughs> because it, it it disables me a lot. You know, I cannot go. I want to go visit Thailand and and like Mexico, but you know. Every time when I think yeah, I have to go in the plane, I, I stop. You know, okay, I book in my own in my own for vacation. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's a little bit fucked up. It's a, it's a, it's a shitty situation, but yeah. Maybe you could I get a sailboat. Yeah. What I hope we'll get you on sailboat what, what you, and travel the high seas. What do you think the root of it is? It's just that you don't you feel like you don't have control over the situation. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I sit there, I have no control. I have a problem, but. I also, uh, I was watching, when I was little, I was always watching this on uh, National Geographic, you know, these planes that are crashing. This, don't ever show it to a child because you're never going to fly when he's old. 
Oh shit! Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, it's no joke. That 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 was I I watched it too much, and uh, after I I was scared myself. You know? yeah. Here's a little and tip. I, did, I I fly it once or two times, but it was so normal. It was not it's not my thing. <laughs> Here's a little tip: in a in an airliner plane crash, all the first class people have first class tickets to uh, being the first to die. Because when the plane crashes, all that crumple zone happens up front. So most of the injuries are in the front half of the airplane, and the people sitting in the back uh, are often, like, totally uninjured, even when there's, like, deaths up front. So I don't know. I mean, if you hop on an airplane, you could buy a back row seat and, and ride a little bit more uh, comfortably, yeah, I guess. Uh, I, I think I wait till the, the planes have uh... – <laughs> I don't know. That's, uh, that's the thing. I don't know, man. Crazy, man. But, 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 you, tr- yeah. but you trust crypto. You've, uh, you're, you're not fearful of, of crypto. No, no, not at all, not at all. I, it's flying. It's like flying, man. That, that's, you know, I feel like flying, especially with Monero. Yeah, we are pushing Monero in, in Holland, you know, and, uh, yeah, it went well. I do it always. I never forget Monero. I have, uh, I have a special relationship with Monero. <laughs> awesome, brother. Anybody, uh, anybody else out there want to jump up, talk about some of the stuff we brought up today? You have quite a long tail. <sighs> Let's go ahead, man. Yeah, you know, I'm ready. Yeah. Anybody else ready before I bump? All right. Hey, Bonnie and, uh, Doug, uh, yeah. Uh, after this bull run happens, then, uh, we'll have, you know, a little bit more money. I'll probably uh, be ready to uh, schedule a plane ride or whatever. I'll, I'll pay for a parachute for all of us. God forbid. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, seriously, because you have more control and I'm pretty sure Bonnie probably will be the best that I could get with, you know, keeping everybody safe, especially if we hit a good bull run. But uh, let me get away from the small talk. All right, so have y'all heard of the, uh, what, Blue Sky Law? It's, I'm looking at it right on Google. It's called the Blue Sky Law. So pull that up real quick. It has something to do with the Howie test. It's another test to determine. And then what about the uh, Hemen uh, kind of ETH shield? Because Hemen was the only person with credibility, this kind of might not be the case now, that went publicly and made a statement about Ethereum and its fundraising. So I, I want to see what y'all had to say about that. Um, yeah, blue sky laws. I couldn't, I'm not really familiar with them. I've heard of it. I, I know what you're talking about. Um, there's a guy named Jeremy Hogan that, that talks a lot about the ripple case. Um, but, uh, one of the big aspects of the Hinman emails and the ripple defense is the fair notice defense. They're saying, Hey, we didn't have any clarity. Like we couldn't have known where we asked you guys and y'all wouldn't respond to us. And so the Hinman emails are kind of, um, they're problematic from multiple angles from the SEC because first of all, um, they've been admitted into evidence in their, um, in their federal case. So you have, so here you have like the leader of the SEC saying that they think that ETH isn't a security, which at a bare minimum proves that even the SEC didn't know how they were going to regulate this stuff or what the status of it was. So that's a really big boost to the fair notice defense, which, um, which like you could even still be a security in that case or have been sold as an investment contract. But because the SEC refused to provide clarity and there was no fair notice, even though they tried to seek it, um, even if it was a security, you can't hold them liable or maybe they couldn't be held liable. Um, that's a ruling that very well could be made by Judge Torres, uh, who's the judge uh, presiding over the SEC versus Ripple case. Um, yeah. okay. the, the blue sky laws. I, yeah, I, I see some exactly. stuff right now. I got it up. Uh, it's a term that's been out since the 19th. Can I, uh, yeah, I probably shouldn't make any guesses on it. I mean, do you, what, what do you know about it? All right, so I'm looking at it reading right now. I'm not the best reader, but I can send it to, to y'all. Uh, when you look on Google, 
it's a couple of different interpretations of it, and then it talks about the origin. So all you gotta do is scroll down, bro. Like it's not hard to find. I promise. Yeah, uh, yeah, I don't know much about it. In 1917, the term "blue sky law" was first used by the U.S. Supreme Court in Hall versus Gager, and was coined by advocates of the first blue sky law enacted in 1911 in Kansas, who sought to protect investors' securities backed by nothing but the blue sky. In the decade that followed Kansas' blue sky law, many states adopted similar securities laws to protect consumers, and New York passed its blue sky law, the Martian Act, in 1921. So that's what we uh, that's what we mentioned in the news, the Martian Act, or the Martin Act. Um, the Martin okay, Act, okay. The Martin Act is what, uh, you know, the Attorney General's office is relying upon for, for, uh, alleging, uh, that, the KuCoin, um, you know, uh, valid, invalid, uh, is, is, is guilty of, uh, you know, violating securities law by selling securities, uh, on there. And is this just my opinion, but maybe right. the ERC 20 could, be a security, but not Ethereum itself, meaning the underlying contract and how it's packaged. Just speculation, speculation. Yeah, I mean, there's a million different ways this thing can go. You know, it's going to be what the powers that be decide. Um, we were, you know, Body was giving some some reasoning as to why really doesn't see it likely that it goes in the direction of ETH being labeled security. Um, yeah, I hear what you're saying. Maybe uh, ERC twenties or things. Certain things will be labeled securities that are built on ETH, but the ETH protocol itself won't be labeled one. Right. That's, that's, right. that sounds reasonable. Um, but we don't know. I, I, my gut says ETH won't be labeled a security in the U.S., but I'm surprised by how far things are going right now, uh, in terms of the, in terms of the allegation, especially here in New York. Yeah, it seems all set up. Can I ask something? Yeah, go for it, Desiree. Um, yeah, what I want to know is, uh, look, for Monero, uh, don't you think that the governments will not accept Monero? Yeah, that is my question. Yeah, I mean, the short answer is we, we really don't care, or I can't speak for everybody, but uh, the goal here is to build a, a crypto that is resistant to government regulation, not one that's hoping that we have permission for it to exist. It's to build something that they can't stop. And Monero, I believe, is, is best suited for that purpose. Uh, it's very hard for governments to co-opt and control Monero. They can try to regulate it, but for them to effectively stop it would be very difficult. And then the the second arm of that or arm of that response, no, I don't. I don't think globally banned. I think you may have attempts at it in certain certain countries. Um, you know, you'll see, you'll see some countries come out ahead and try to ban it. Uh, but I think you'll see others become bastions of, uh, of safe crypto areas where you can use Monero without the fear of a ban. And ultimately, I think a place like the United States, just like I don't think they would label ETH a security, uh, but even more so, I don't think they would, uh, try to ban Monero. I think it's very unlikely that they would effectively uh, create a law that would label Monero illegal to use, uh, and by way of doing that, um, violating, you know, some, from some pretty strong precedent that, that code is, speech, uh, that money is speech, um, that communication through encryption is essentially protected speech. Uh, we saw with the, with the, the PGP, uh, um, 
in the 90s when the government tried to basically label the pretty good privacy encryption tech as being an illegal uh, munition. Um, and we saw how that ended up panning out where, you know, the government stepped back and uh, ultimately in- encryption persevered. And I, I think ultimately United States, while it does have tendencies towards doing things that limit people's li- people's rights in this day and age, uh, I think push come to shove. I don't think there'd be enough political will to ban open source software uh, for okay. purposes of transacting value. Thank you. One more question, but it's more uh, for Manu. I don't know if he can speak. I, th- I think yes, yes, I can speak. Oh yeah, uh, my English is bad, so I got in Nederland to do as you didn't think. Stel als je Monero hebt en kijk, uiteindelijk wil je misschien toch uitcashen, maar bijvoorbeeld in Nederland moet je toch uh, opgeven van hoeveel jij hebt, hoeveel je gaat uitcashen zeg maar. Maar ja, hoe ga je dat doen eigenlijk? Want anders gaan ze toch zien dat je misschien aan het wit was als je Monero gaat uitcashen. Als je begrijpt wat ik bedoel. Well. Yes, I understand. I will reply, try to reply in English. Um, so his question was how you cash out Monero without getting the tag of uh, laundry. I think that that was his question. Well, um, actually, I, I, I don't know, you know, because uh, if they if, if if they allow allow it, then you don't need to cash it out. You know, mm-hmm. you don't need to cash out uh, Monero. And if they if they ban Monero. Yeah. And it's forbidden. You can do it. You cannot do it anyway. Uh, okay. 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 Thank you. You can also ask the question of how do you deposit cash into a bank without being labeled as a money launderer? And then you can yeah. double that answer for Monero as well, because Monero, in my mind, legally functions almost exactly the same as cash. Yes. 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 Well, what I think with what 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 because uh, Douglas uh, already answered it, but in my view. Because if he, if they, if you if you if we speak about they going to ban it, let, let, let's say they going to ban government's going to ban Monero, it's going to happen. They going to ban Monero. I think that they can do it like like they doing it with cash already in, in Europe. You know, when you have a certain amount of of cash, it's forbidden to have it. Otherwise, you end up in jail. Like that's already happening now in, in Europe. But like in Holland, it's like uh, three thousand. In Belgium, it's like three thousand euro. You can use three thousand euro payment without uh, identification and, and, and anything. Uh, everything above three thousand euro is forbidden to to pay cash. I think maybe they're going to try something like this for 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 crypt, a crypto like Monero. You know. And then they and then they went after cracking out of all the exchanges too. That was real peculiar. Yeah, but, you know, fair questions. I think this is a concern. Um, but ultimately, the way Monero is people not fearing that governments may ban it, but just opting into it and using it. And through through the will of the people, it survives. Because at the end of the day, it's just a technology. It's peer-to-peer. Yeah. It's unstoppable in that sense. Uh, it's as simple as having a CPU at your home running it or, you know, having an app on your phone. And it pretty much becomes impossible for governments to practically stop it. And yeah, you, you, go ahead. You, you can already. Wa- oh, sorry, sorry. It's okay. Uh, no, you can already. You, you can already look at the dark web. You know. Uh, you know, it's forbidden to interact there with drugs and. You know, it, it's illegal, but people don't care. You know. Oh, what do you think that people are going to say? Hey, listen, uh, Monero is forbidden on the dark net. Okay, I don't use it anymore. See back. 
you know, they're going to use it because why? They, because they need it. They don't care about the, about rules and governments understand this. You know, you can you can say, okay, it's banned. And what happens next? If, if there is a need for it, they're going to, you know, if they can ban whatever they can do, whatever they want, people need it, they will use it. You know, it's not like in the end that, that uh, okay, government's banned Monero. Oh, the old dark web say, ah, oh, shit, leave it how it is. No, those people don't care. If it works, if it protects them, they're going to use it. I think if they ban it, the price is going to go up. I think it's going to happen the opposite way of what they would think. Yeah, would that's what I was, that's what I'm always telling the members. Listen, if, if they're going to ban, Monero, it's a national holiday. We must make it a national holiday. Why? Because if, if they, if, what, what does it mean that if they ban it, it, it means that exchanges must also ban it. They cannot sell, they cannot interact with it. Well, this, this means that into the wild, it's not under the control anymore of the big exchanges. Because the big exchanges, as we know right now, they are manipulating the price. The, the price of Monero down. If they dump Monero, yeah, people will go into the wild. What's going to happen with the price? The buying power of Monero is going up. It will go skyrocketing, you know, because on this moment, the only the only way that uh, uh, Monero is low is because of the, because of the suppression of KuCoin, Binance. They are pressing it down years and years. If Monero is forbidden by governments, then they cannot interact anymore with Monero, you know. So what happens? What's the logical? It, it's going to be free for real, real free, because then there there is a real uh, supply and demand, not fake, but it's a supply and demand. And then you will see the real price of Monero, and you will see it in buying power. People go, instead of they going to buy uh, one gram of coke on the dark web, they can't go and buy one, one kilo of coke with one Monero. You may know what I mean, you know? <laughs> it has, it has, there's great value in the ability to transact in a cash-like manner on on the internet, and there's no other technology that does it that has achieved this to the degree Monero has, and people are going to demand use of that utility. And because they will always have access to it, it will always exist and there'll always be demand for it and they'll always use it. So no matter what governments try to do, it will continue to be used. But like PGP, like I gave the example of, ultimately, I think governments or the U.S. government would would give up on trying to effectively ban it and instead would eventually embrace it uh, and realize what we all realize here is the positive attributes of it and why it's ethically, uh, you know, the, the, uh, the superior, right? So it, it's, it's, it's morally positive technology allowing people to have control of their money, to, to use their money as they as they wish to transact without censorship or, you know, without any government or corporation being able to hinder their transaction or surveil their transaction. And I think these will become ideas that society at large will embrace and realize that, yes, with the good comes the bad, right? Just like with PGP, uh, people can use it to communicate in nefarious ways that the government can't can't see. But ultimately, the idea is if, if you believe that most people are good, and if you believe in the idea of open and free societies, then you want to allow humanity to communicate in a liberated way without censorship. And Monero is the ultimate form of that. And so that's really what it comes down to, and more so the fact that it can't be stopped. So it's a, it's kind of a personal question that everybody has to ask themselves is, do you think this is a good technology for society, for the world? And if you do, then use it. 
uh, and get others to. If you don't, then that's your own personal decision, and we'll see which way humanity goes if ultimately they adopt it. But it can't. It really, it really can't be stopped in any practical way. Yeah, and and, and the, the, also the other thing is that uh, what we see right now are, is that governments are trying to crack down more and more things we love on the moment. You know, I I think a lot of people already now see. Like I always say, the the, the example of meat. You see, I think or milk, something of milk from a cow. In in the future, when they going to ban, if if they are going to ban stuff like that, things we love. Now it's okay. Now it's drugs. But but later on, you know, we will we want to you know if if they ban some something something like milk or cheese or you know something we love meat something like this. If they are going to ban it, we want. It's not that the demand is 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 is, is going away. No, we people want it. And if we cannot buy it, because by then we have CD program program of money, yeah, and we have the, we have we getting uh, punished. We use meat or something like this. We're going to use. A, a, a way to pay it outside of the system. And what do we have there? Monero is there. We have Monero. It is waiting for us there. Monero will, it's, it's, there is a use case for Monero. I think it's, it's, uh, it's something we need for the future. Man. Exactly, man. Exactly. All right, guys. This is an epic show. A marathon as always. Anybody else want to uh, throw anything out there before we close it out? I kind of wanted to offer just a few closing thoughts that are more speculative on on all the things that are happening right here about um, SVB and, and regulation and, and all this stuff. Um, so it looks to me, so we've talked about BlackRock is the company, BlackRock and Fidelity own Circle, um, and it seems like they're extremely deep insiders. We saw Peter Thiel was one of the people that actually got out of SVB, and he's kind of an insider as well. He's kind of a shady character. One of the things I think might be happening here is that they they might have taken down, and this is very speculative, SVB might have been taken down as a way to show the world that, look, when crypto collapses and FTX, everyone loses everything, and it's going to be years of litigation, and look at Mt. Gox and FTX and all these terrible failures. But when SVB, a regulated U.S. bank, fails, well, everyone gets almost all their money back in a very short period of time because of how safe all our regulations are. And so they're probably going to try and leverage that um, into into bringing crypto, uh, bringing more crypto regulations. Um, I think it's also a very good opportunity for USDC to basically meet this crazy panic selling that's happening, and for them to basically show, no, look, even when we have a bank failure, we're solid, we have, we're responsible. You know, we are the stable coin for the future for DeFi. I think they're in a very solid position right now to basically prove that. Um, in such a way that uh, that gives them like what seems like a negative now could very easily become an even greater positive for them, um, which might not necessarily be a great positive for digital freedom money. Um, and then finally, uh, with regards to like uh, the New York Attorney General calling Ethereum a security, it seems like this is probably a negotiation piece. They probably know they're not going to get that. But in the interim, the mere accusation gives them leverage and power over um, perhaps certain aspects and certain negotiations. And, uh, you know, the art of the deal negotiation, they're going to try and demand some extravagant amount and say, well, you know, we can do this and that. And then after they back off of that, they'll get the regulation that they really were planning to get all along. So that's kind of like um, maybe my closing thoughts on, on speculatively on what might be happening here in, in a broader picture. Great summary, man. Uh, I, I think I, I agree with with all those points there. Um, yeah, they're, they're using this as a further excuse to try to clamp down, regulate, control crypto. Governments aren't aren't in the business of protecting the people. 
That's a, that's, that's, that's the sales pitch, but the goal is control. That's the goal. Uh, and those that are making the regulations are controlled by those that gain the most when that control is implemented. We all, we all know how it works. We all know how it works. I imagine everybody in this room knows how it works. And so that, that's why we're into Monero because it's pretty much impossible as far as we know for them to control and stop it. All right, guys, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to call it a day. This is an epic convo. Thank you so much, everybody. Just shilling Monerotopia.com. Please, uh, grab tickets if you don't have them already. Uh, we're going to add a virtual conference ticket to at some point. I just didn't want to announce it sooner than later because my goal is to get people down there in person because it's going to be a lot more fun if you're down there in person. Man, oh man, I hope you could, uh, figure out how to make it, you know, maybe go, maybe go on the dark web, buy, buy, buy some, uh, buy some chemicals that will help you cope with, with the flight. (laughs) (laughs) Use your Monero, man. Go, go make a purchase, uh, you know, to turn it into a, a fun experience. Yeah, and uh, make your way over there. Some epic experience. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, everybody else, if you don't already have your tickets, buy them. It's just ninety nine bucks for general admission. If for some reason you can't afford that, uh, reach out to us. We'll make it work. We basically the local tickets. We're basically giving them away to locals. We're charging twenty dollars, but we gave a bunch away to the people in the meetup, and we gave them discount codes to give away to other crypto curious people that are locals because we want part of this conference isn't just talking amongst ourselves among those that already believe in these concepts we want to bring in noobs and mexico city is a a beautiful vibrant place a lot of a lot of young people that are excited about the future and we want to we want to show them get them involved in crypto and get them learning set them on the right path all right cheers everybody have a good one peace cheers bro cheers body thank you so much as always lip thank you for always jumping in here Matter. Thanks for always letting Thanks me come you, up. Man. Of course. Speak to you soon. Adios. And, and I'll see you next year for sure. <laughs> Thank you for joining us on this week's Monerotopia episode. We stream live shows every Saturday at 11 a.m. Eastern. You can find and subscribe to our show on YouTube and Odyssey or listen to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or Stitcher. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter or join us in the Monerotopia Telegram group. See you all next week.